It is another episode of Pod Like a Hole, where three dudes, lifelong friends, some would say friendship was truly the true treasure all along, get together, get in front of microphones, and we talk about things that we really enjoy, uh, mostly music. Sometimes we veer through the uh, the cultural streams and talk about other things that we watch and read. But if you've been following us on this uh, monumental expedition, some would say a journey, not me, of course, because the journey is something that sometimes that phrase gets well overused. But... A podcast isn't a journey. It's something you just throw on and wash the dishes to and clean the house with. Come on now. Let's, let's, not, let's not get too outrageous. Um, but tonight we are going to be talking about a band from Washington, D.C., a quintessential punk band. It should be in everyone's record collection, at least one of their records. And that's the band Fugazi. I think that's how you pronounce it. Or is it Fugazi? I don't know. Uh, only Fugazi. Joe. Uh, Fugazi. <laughs> Fugazi. <laughs> come down to, come down to Fugazi. The apples are on sale. <laughs> that's the uh, the forgotten Muppet. Um, it's it's uh, Fonzie's like punk brother. Um, Eric nominated uh, the album from 2001. The argument is Fugazi's last record, and it's a good one. Um, spoiler alert. But uh, who am I? I am Mark, and I am so thankful for having you all join us today. Not just the two that are sitting to the left and to the right of me. I'm talking about you, the listener. Couldn't do. We wouldn't have be able to do this without you. Speaking into three microphones into the ether sometimes can be a little dejecting if no one's on the other side listening. Um, Stephen, how you doing up there? I heard you went to the snow today. I did. It was exhausting. Uh, this weekend, yesterday, we got a dumpster. We got a dumpster from the actual uh, trash people. We had them plant that dumpster in our driveway, and we emptied ninety-eight percent of our uh, garage into that dumpster. And then uh, today. We took the kids to the snow. So even though it was the weekend, I don't feel like I've taken a day off from working. That's how I'm doing. I mean, to be the... you guys, because I was already, listen, I try not to be negative on family excursions. I don't like the snow. I don't understand it. I don't see what's fun about it. And especially if you're taking children to it. It's just, it's exhausting. That's it. The bowl of sunshine over here. Cause I had to take my kids to the snow and watch them have fun today. How do you guys feel about the snow? Taking I'm, your I'm, the snow. I'm positively in the anti-camp of the snow. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's trying to kill you. If you've ever driven in it, it's certainly trying to kill you. And I'm pretty sure it breeds a class of people that is out for blood. I um, They're a little unhinged. The snow people, a little unhinged. I'm not into snow. Mark, are you anti-snow or pro-snow? I like snow uh, in the sense of being able to see it from a distance, whether that be on a television screen 
Um, I don't like being in it. I don't yeah, like cabin. Tra- no, give me a ca- yeah, give me a cabin and let me look at the snow. That's great. But definitely, it's peaceful. It, chasing a, a three year old, a three year old who's trying who's trying to figure out why the ground doesn't work anymore beneath his feet. No, it's uh, I don't know about that. I'm still struggling with that concept too. I have to correct you. Uh, In your introduction, you said this, we get together and we talk about things we like. Well, folks, if you listen to the last episode, sometimes we talk about things we despise, like Eric's opinion, (laughs) the system of the downs toxicity. (laughs) I tried. I tried guys. I tried. I tried. I tried to point out one positive from every song. The honesty, the honesty is fun. You know, it's a, I was actually happy when you gave it a bargain or a yeah, bargain basement rating. Oh wow, finally. Yeah, someone was honest with the, with us. Good. Yeah, Eric definitely filed that in the in the discount bin, that's for sure. Put it right um, every- next to clipping. Right next they're next to clipping, in my opinion. Yeah. That's probably fair. But yeah. They just actively frustrated me. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Eric, introduce yourself. Make yourself at home. Put your feet up on the chair. Happy to be here, uh, uh, mates. Happy to be here, mates, uh, to discuss some uh, some punk. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Um, but before we really get into the meat of the episode, I know that uh, you know we, we all have to do things tomorrow, so we're going to try to make this uh, too long of a conversation, but you know how we do. Um. What's the first item on the agenda, boys? Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Are we pod like a holing? Are we uh, plugging holes right now? Or are we uh, looking at the news? I guess news time, baby. We've only done this podcast 700 times. The news comes before the plugs. God damn it. (laughs) Hear the music. news there's not a lot of news this week or this month i think we this month if we're being honest with us got a couple things here one i already know uh mark's opinion on it is uh pitchfork media got bought out by gq and basically cannibalized and they're gonna just be turned into yet another website that gives you lists it sounds like all the writers are getting uh deleted and pitchfork's gonna be a website that's uh, a shadow of itself that's newsworthy because for the last 26 years or so, Pitchfork has been a place where people go to discover new music or hear about new music, hear about what's trendy, hear about what's coming up. And they've always been known for their harsh reviews where you'll read the review and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I got to go buy this record. This review is telling me that this is the best record that came out this year. And they have a grade scale that's one to ten. And it's like, ah, they gave it a five point seven. Um, that's pitchfork. And then on the other end for a while, uh, really in the early to mid aughts, they were known for very snarky, 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 worst hipster type snark uh, reviews that you'll find out there. They even would, uh, I mean, they would do, they would, they would give some records around the turn of the century, just terrible reviews. Like some guy just got the, Oh, let's call it nine snails is the fragile. And he's like, Oh, this popular industrial band, three, if on a good day. And then 15 years later, they reviewed the re-release of the fragile and they gave it like a 10.1 best album of all time. So I don't know. I don't know what that means besides sometimes the snark was for snark's sake. And I don't even think their heart was in the snark. 
Um, I'll give my opinion real quick on the demise of Pitchfork. Even though I don't buy new music, well, do any of us buy new music at all? Even though I hardly pay attention to new music, not nearly as much as Eric or the or or people, I still would go there about once or twice a week and just read through the news about these bands whose names I can't pronounce. I would read through the reviews to see if anything really jumped out at me every once in a while. Like one out of every 20 reviews, I would be like, oh, I'll check that band out. I actually still really liked it because on Sundays they would do these uh, historical album reviews and I, some of the really good music writing and it would be uh, albums that aren't in their warehouse already. Like they never, they didn't exist back when the smile by the beach boys came out. So on a Sunday you might get a really well-written essay on smile. I love that. So that's about what I got out of it these days. But I'm not going to get anything out of it anymore. It's dying. It's uh, getting shuttered. Uh, Eric and Mark. Mark, because I know what Mark's going to say. Opinions yeah, on Pitchfork. I, I would go to Pitchfork a few times a week as well. Um, their main reviews often didn't have, um, like, they weren't necessarily covering stuff that I found super interesting. Um, every now and then, uh, and a lot of it was, you know, definitely... Uh, popular music adjacent, but, you know, still with indie cred, I guess is how I would rate the stuff that they would give high ratings to. But every now and then they would, they would review something where might talk about the catchy hooks, but then the noisy deep bass industrial beats. And I'd be like, okay, all right, I shall try that. And then, and then often, you know, I'd find something I like. Um, But more than that, I got the use I got out of it was like, they would have these genre specific people that would do like pull out what they thought was the best stuff of the week. And it would be like, they had a rap, a rap guy, or they had like an electronic person. And, um, that's where I would kind of get the most bang for my buck. So I, I, I still found it to be a useful site as a music fan who does try to keep things interesting and at least try something new every week. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, your mileage may vary with pitchfork. Mark, how do you feel about pitchfork dying? I am dancing on its fucking grave. No, I tell can't... me how you really feel, Mark. You're not here. <laughs> I don't understand what you really mean. Can you break it down more simply than that? Absolutely. I'll put it in pitchfork terms. I'm giving its demise a 10. Um, it's a... <laughs> um, so here's why I have such an issue with pitchfork. Um, <clears throat> as a news site... It's actually pretty good, you know, being able to understand what's going on with, you know, who's touring where and who announced what and what music video got released. It's good for that. But do not click on anything else. Album reviews, top lists of this year that you're in, because you are going to be finding yourself in a very frustrating state, no matter if you like the band or don't like the band. Every writer at Pitchfork Media just seems like they are not human beings. Like literally, how can we create a character that is a Mr. Show type, you know, David Cross creation? I don't watch television. I don't even own a television. Notice I didn't say TV. TV is a nickname and nicknames are for friends. And Television is no friend of mine. <laughs> you want to go see a movie then? Maybe go see that What About the Coupod? I only go and see foreign films. 
You are a list of some CDs. <sighs> Please, compact disc blow. Um, you know, one thing that I had heard about, like on Office Hours, uh, it's the Tim Heidecker show, and he's no fan of Pitchfork either. Um, but he's had like independent um, artists on there and who got uh, a bad review and it absolutely fucked their career. Like to the point where like um, they were getting bookings canceled. Like uh, it, it, Pitchfork had a lot of like sway. And sometimes when they were just trying to be like, you know, edge lords, it actually did kind of affect. I mean, yeah, even if your band is kind of shitty, like that shouldn't necessarily someone. Everyone's got a taste for something, is what I'll say. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Pitchfork. I mean, I think the wheels started to come off the wagon for me when the Fragile review came out years, long time ago, when the album first landed. And I was like, huh. It's almost kind of making fun of me too. <laughs> I really identify with that record. You fucking assholes. And um, I don't know, like any time that they would give like a 10 out of 10, like Kanye West's Twisted Dark Fantasy. It's a good record. Is it a perfect record? God, no. Um, but, you know, kind of like how Rolling Stone, the magazine would always give you two albums like fucking five out of fives. And there's some dark fucking, you know, reviews there were oh you know a mick jagger you know shat on record that's a fucking perfect record like i don't know so when it comes to i guess music media and reviews sometimes yeah your your mileage may vary but just the way that pitchfork reminded me of the guy at the party that you're just constantly looking for an exit from that conversation from i'm more of a working man give me the prp any day of the week uh, over Pitchfork Media. I know they just mostly do music news and not really reviews, but yeah, Pitchfork, sorry it didn't work out. Not sorry. Uh, they gave Fugazi's The Argument an 8.5. For the I did notice that in my research, so at least that we can agree on. Actually, yeah, well, for the some, most part. Somebody uh Joe Tangar, he didn't have a bad day that day when his... Uh, Latte was too cold, and he wrote that review. <laughs> Didn't take it out on Fugazi. <laughs> uh, other news. There's not a lot of news right now. Um, let's see if we can take it back to season one when we talked a lot about Nine Snails, who was adjacent to the industrial genre. KMFDM. Two bits of news here. Uh, KMFDM. They're doing it again. They are putting a new album out oh, next, uh, like February 2nd or something. New album coming out by KMFDM. And let's see, how long has our podcast been on tour? 2007, 16? How long have we been on? 2017, I think. Okay. So I'll have to check right. my archives. But yeah, we're, on. Yeah, we're almost on six, seven years. And that that's that's about uh, 12 KMFD um, um, albums. The, at the rate they put records out. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they're nothing but not consistent. Uh, a new album comes out about one every 1.2 years. And there's a new album coming out. Uh, what's is it called? Let's go, or is that, that's yeah, it's the title. Let's go, no, let go. It's called Let Go. And they, they put a new song out. It's not bad, but came at the new album's coming out soon. Did either this? This leads into a more substantial discussion about something else related to KMFDM. But out of curiosity, did either of you listen to the new KMFDM song Let Go? I did not. 
Um, even though I'm currently going through a KMFTM run through, um, I guess I'm saving that one for the very bitter end when the album actually comes out. Um, but yeah, I'm in the There Be Dragons era right now. And uh, oh, yeah. I am trying to be like a little bit more positive. That was Eric's New Year's resolution. And I'm going to, you know, go with that. So there are some times where I'm like, okay, all right. This isn't exactly just an industrial pep rally. Um, I can I can see what, what you're trying to do. It's not as good as what you used to do, but that's my expectations for the new song. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you know, I don't know how it works, but I mean, when he married, I think he married that one woman that's in the band now. And she's been in the band for like 20 years. And the one that was probably, in MDFMK with him as well. I think, Lucia, yeah. Lucia. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they just keep things going because somehow they like make <laughs> the tax purposes. I don't know. Um, uh, I like that last album, Hyena. On, on the podcast, we said we liked it. Um, and I, yeah, it was pretty good. Eric, have you listened to the new song? Uh, no, I, uh, I, I, I will open my heart to it when the full album's out and that might be the, the window will close fast for, yeah, the, for the, new, <laughs> yeah, the new, the new song sounds like a, a modern KMFDM song. Uh, but more importantly, they, they this is newsworthy. They re-released an EP that I had on my, uh, old Macintosh for years. It hasn't worked for years, and it actually went in that dumpster this uh this weekend. Mark, Mark, I threw a computer away this weekend. Um, it felt strangely liberating. But the sin, no, 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 it's not called that. It's called KMFDM versus Pig, or Pig versus KMFDM. And apparently, it wasn't streamable for decades. I used to own it in high school. I had it on compact disc. And uh, Mark, did you own that one on cassette? For some reason, I feel like you did. I'm making that up. I had that one on CD. Okay. Randomly, Mark would have cassettes of things. And I was like, that's interesting. He had some cassettes. And uh, Eric, did you own that one back in your youth? Uh, no. Uh, I always was intrigued by it. And for whatever reason, I just didn't pick it up until the uh, KMFDM train passed me by. Um, and then I, when I got back into them a few, you know, at this point over almost 10 years ago, I was like, why is this not on the streams? And so I was so excited when they excited, they said it was coming out again. Yeah, the KMFDM versus Pig EP is very good. And uh, I've always liked it. I've always high quality KMFDM and Pig songs. Some of their best work, I'd say. It's available on the streams now. And I say if you like industrial music, you should check it out. You guys agree? Yes. Hard so much, guess. so much so that it was half. That was half of my plug like a holes. Okay, well we'll save the rest of it for plug like a hole. Moving on to plug like a hole because there's not a lot of news. Just like there's not going to be a lot of news at Pitchfork anymore. Plug like a hole. Who's who's filling the hole okay. first? Oh, all right. Oh, well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, yeah. Eric. Sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll just do it. <laughs> So if I'm listening to uh, like you know upbeat industrial music uh, while I'm while I'm reading um, that KMFDM versus Pig EP is, is excellent. We've already talked about it. 
Um, but uh, what was I reading? Well, the comic book, and I've been texting Steve on the side about this, but I just, I've been pretty energized by it. So I'm reading all of the Superman books from the 90s. There were four books. Uh, they were came out weekly, and they had a little triangle. It's called the Triangle Era, because the triangle would tell you what order to read the Superman book. Sounds complicated. They're all collected together. Now it's easy. But uh, uh, I just got through so about... when you say that. It sounds almost like you were confused by it. <laughs> And then you figured it out. And then I figured it out. I got through about three and a half years of it, and that's just volume one, and it ends with the death and resurrection of Superman. And as a comic book fan, I always remember thinking back on that as, was it like a schmaltzy 90s thing? But after reading the whole run, I was into it. And when Superman comes back and he's got that long mullet flowing in the wind, uh, and and he just absolutely crushes Cyborg Superman, I got to tell you, I I, might have stood up and, and shouted. And uh, and KMFDM playing in my ear while I'm reading, it all worked out. So that's yeah, a perfect mix. And I bought that Death of Superman comic when it came out. I intermittently bought Superman comics growing up, not often, but I bought that one. Oh yeah. Even at the time, I thought it was pretty cool the way they did that one issue with the like it, it starts out with smaller panels, and as the book goes through, by the end of it, the small panels have become large panels, and they're double page spreads and. It, it really lets you know there's a sense of impo- imposing doom coming. Yeah, I remember waiting in line for that 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 book when it came out that day. That was a huge and thing. Then, I think the news was there. I was at Comics and Comics in Birdcage. Superheroes but, didn't die back then. Then they'd started dying quarterly. Uh, so 90 Superman, and you come for the uh, mulleted action, stay for Jimmy Olsen's fashion sense, where he goes from dressing like Vanilla Ice to uh, a grunger kid with a spin doctor shirt by the uh, by the mid 90s. So fans, 39 Chanel shirts in there. I've been finding nine Chanel shirts in my X-Men comic rereads of the 90s. I spotted not two. Not, not yet. I know uh, one of the Green Lanterns is a big Nine Chanel's fan, but he hasn't showed up yet. Wonderful. That, that Wonderful it stuff. Triangle, Triangle Comics? Triangle Era Superman? That's it. I've been watching uh, a show on a channel. I'm not here to plug anything other than just the show, not the content or the, the streaming channel that it's on, but it's Slow Horses. Uh, Jen and I went through three seasons, um, six episodes each, like every British show I believe is legally only obliged to make for seasons is just six at max. Um, but Gary Oldman's in it. It's about, uh, people who work for MI5 that somehow fucked up and got moved off site treated like really subhumans. They still work for MI5, which is their version of the CIA. Uh, Gary Oldman plays uh, the guy that runs the slow horses or the folks that live in Slough House. And he always looks like a pile of dirty, wet laundry. Um, He's doing the Lord's work in that show. It's really good. Um, He's farting and just being a pain in the ass to Kristen Scott Thomas and um, always one step ahead. Uh, Good shit. I like that show quite a bit. It also has um, a theme song done by Mick Jagger and uh, me and the wife have been uh, kind of mocking it, but also kind of respecting the song and we'll sing it to each other just randomly. 
Um, it's a good show. Uh, give it a shot. Um, it moves really fast, and no one is safe. Um, and it's based on some books. And apparently, I should read those books. Slow Horses. Can you guys it- uh, get on the slow horse? I, I haven't. I hardly can get on the fast horses uh, that I want to get on. The idea of watching three whole seasons of a show with my wife, that would take us eight years with the way that the family is structured right now. And it's <laughs> only 18 be- episodes in a whole. Six episodes apiece for those three seasons. You can get through what? it. Why is it called Slow Horses? Because they live in Slough House, and it's a slang for slow horses. Um, But, like, there's a lot of animal uh, motifs going on in that show. Um, The second episode, or the second season, is based off the book Dead Lions. Season three is based off the book Real Tigers. Mm. They call, like, the goons that work the dirty work, the black ops, and MI5, the dogs. Um, Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's kind of like a little bit of uh, it scratches the itch between uh, James Bond and the Mission Impossible for me. No, I, that's no high tech gadgetry though, but it's good. Um, yeah, I, wa- and- I watched the first two and loved it, and then uh, Show Apocalypse happened this winter, and I pressed pause. But now that shows have wrapped up, I will get back to it. Yeah, it's worth a damn. I do. I do love Gary. I mean, who doesn't like Gary Oldman? Only assholes don't like Gary Oldman. Um, He's the best. Whenever I do see the press for it, I am amused. It just like he looks like hair greasy and just yeah, interesting. Mustard stain all down his tie. Yeah, great. (laughs) I will check that out. Um, It's really good. Let's see. Uh, I know we plugged in the last show, but Fargo did end season five, and that is one of the first times in years that uh, a show is so good that I think I watched every episode twice. And then the, uh, the ending was just uh, stuck the lending stuck the ending very well. And I was very impressed with that Fargo season five. And uh, even the, uh, just the last scene of it, there's a conversation between a few people and it, it's very tense, but then it's very loving. I was like, Oh, look at this. Look what they did here. It was really good. That's that Fargo yeah. season five. Yeah, like, and it makes you realize maybe uh, one of the more blatant themes of that show is just, just the uh, the strength of Midwestern kindness. I don't know, <laughs> kindness at all. I think, yeah, um, and not holding things over people's heads that they have no control over. But I, I liked it all. It was good, good stuff. Well acted, high quality. Mark, did you finish it? I think did you get a chance to finish that Fargo season? I did. I did. Having it end on the uh, Werner Herzog character uh, was definitely a choice. Um, I <laughs> I enjoyed it. I think it's my third favorite season of that that uh, that show. Um, I would say this is probably after season. I think I like season two more than I like season one, um, and then then this one. Huh? Um, well, season two has Bruce Campbell playing Ronald Reagan, and that's very difficult to top. So, yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, uh, my least favorite season was probably the last one, though, with the Chris Rock and uh, Jason Schwartzman. I think I like the Ewan McGregor season better. It's because they took it out of the took it out of Fargo in the last season. So I read because I never finished it. 
Um, you know, Fargo's good. Other things I watched that I really liked is that uh, I mentioned in the writer's room there's a Willie Nelson special on four-part documentary on Paramount+. Plus. And uh, one day we're going to talk about Willie Nelson on this show. And I would suggest, I'm not, I'm not saying it's homework, but I would suggest you watch it. I think anybody that's even casually a fan of Willie Nelson, or not even a fan of Willie Nelson, would get a lot out of it. It's very well done. Uh, Willie Nelson is a national treasure. He's 90 years old, and he still tours. And the four-hour documentary about him on Paramount Plus is high quality. Willie Nelson. I think it's just called the Willie Nelson family. So it's uh, sent me down a, a Willie Nelson rabbit hole. And that's a, that's a big hole to fall down because it's like a hundred albums deep. The other thing I have to plug is, uh, Getty Lee's autobiography. My wife got me Getty Lee's autobiography, Getty Lee of Rush. And Getty Lee is as good of a writer as Neil Peart is a drummer. You notice I didn't say he's as good of a writer as he is a singer. <laughs> then you'd be like, is he a good writer? But no, this uh, Getty Lee's autobiography is a high quality book. I like a good rock book. Rarely do I read one written by a rocker where you actually uh, put some effort into it. And he's a, he's a funny guy. And every time I get to a part where he gets to bring up, you know, an anecdote like, you know, I hated growing up in the suburbs of Canada. And, uh, you know, my mother just told me it was the way to be. But I didn't think the suburbs were the way to be. And that's when I wrote the song Subdivisions. I'm like, all oh, right, yes. So there's a lot of uh, Paul Harvey shit going on in his autobiography that I enjoy. That's what I got. Fargo ended, Willie Nelson, and Getty Lee's book. Those are my plugs. It's... American is apple pie, even though, you know, Getty Lee's from the great white North. He's a big Uh, baseball guy. So nice. Hopefully he's a blue Jays fan. I hope I'm sure he is. Could see that. Um, all right. So that concludes the plugs, the news, Eric, it is time to hold up a magnifying glass and determine whether that diamond is a Fugazi. Fugazi, right? <laughs> uh, so, diamond. Is you should give it to somebody that don't know any better because that's a Fugazi. All right? That's a Fugazi. Let's, let's, let's break it down. Uh, fucked up, got ambushed, zipped in. It's an old Vietnam phrase when everything went to shit. And coming out of coming out of Vietnam, on the other end of Vietnam, you get the birth of punk. Of course, that all started in the in the UK, but America, American punk. We're gonna skip over Wave One. That's like your, uh, you know, that's your. They were punk, but it definitely had more of like a CBGB rock edge to it. You're talking about like your New York Dolls and your Ramones. We all we we know, but. The, the second wave and when punk, you know, really like made a cultural uh, impact, I guess, in the underground, we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about minor threat. We're talking about Washington, D.C., Bad Brains, Minor Threat, a Black Flag, and then, and then 
in the little bitty West Coast, you got Dead Kennedy is who we love so so damn much. Um, and all responding to to you know the the aftermath of Vietnam while there were protest songs in the sixties. Uh, America still was picking up the pieces in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, and so you've got, you've got this, uh, this kind of punk coming out of Washington, DC and they don't call themselves punk rock, right? They call themselves hardcore. And I think the first thing, cause they're, I'm going to be throwing a lot of genres out today. I think the first thing to ask is what's the difference between punk and hardcore and Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I mean, in sound, you might not say a lot if you heard two side by side, but the ones that identify as either, you know, punk's definitely certainly got like an art lean to it. And hardcore is a little bit more working class. Um, and while punk would do like a snarly sing, uh, while the music might sound a lot the same, the singers are a little bit more snarly trying to sing to a melody while hardcore was a little more atonal shouting. Um, but that would change as we get into the history of this band. Um, does that sound yeah, like I a think fair? That's fair. Yeah, I think so. I, I wasn't prepared for that question, but that's about as good an answer as any. Um, and I, I think uh, even though punk is like anti-fashion and anti-fascist, but anti-fashion, hardcore was like, you know, the, the Henry Rollins would uh, he, he'd, he'd get done his shift at the Baskin Robbins and go play a show in his Baskin Robbins outfit if he needed to. And said, totally <laughs> just the music is all that matters. God damn it. That's right. That's right. So, um, so Ian McKay, and he's going to be our, you know, one of our, uh, uh, one of our, uh, you know, golden idols we're talking about today, but, um, Ian McKay is leads is lead singer in this band that kind of starts everything we're going to discuss the teen idols, Washington, DC, um, hardcore band. Um, and they play for a little bit and break up. And then Ian McKay joins some other musicians from the scene and they start minor threat. And at this time, conjunctually, they're ta- they're starting Discord Records, where all of the bands in the scene and all the people in the scene are getting in bands, breaking up, starting new bands, and it's all being recorded, Discord House, and being released on this little record label. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, minor Threat makes a huge splash, absolutely huge splash, giant record, um, out of step. Um, also, you know big and um and, and a lot of punk fans at the time and still to this day revere that a lot um and while uh we're not here to talk about minor threat because fugazi in my opinion made a bigger splash uh did you guys get into minor threat at all no i mean i, I gave it i've given it a listen back in the old days just to say i did i've always liked that album cover though with the sheep that's like oh like all the sheep are running away in one way one way and the other one's like the black sheep, yeah, 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 yeah. The black sheep, yeah, yeah. But I never, I never was a big minor threat guy. I'll get to my, I'll succinctly tell my story of Fugazi and how I got into them when we get to that yeah. part. Oh, well, yeah, we will get, yeah, we'll get to that. But I, I never um, got into them. I, I got into a lot of the later band, like some of my favorite bands had had Genesis's in these hardcore and crust type scenes. But I didn't like like I I liked it I liked the fully fleshed out products I didn't really go back and dabble with the protos if you will sure sure yeah Mark anything to add on those early years Minor Threat the pre Fugazi yeah I didn't uh, 
I didn't ever listen to Minor Threat despite the Fugazi connections. Um, and for whatever reason, so the other album cover that I'm thinking of for a Minor Threat is someone who I always, in my mind, is like, that's Ian McKay, right? Um, holding his hand, head down, um, like he's sitting on a stoop. Yeah, two two I different always... yeah two different two different records there. But yeah, yeah. But you're right. You are absolutely right. That is a classic, iconic. That's the self titled one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, out of, thought... out of step has the sheep. Out of step has the sheep. Yeah. But I... uh, that one would always be the one that was printed on you know t shirts. Um, right. And right. when people wanted to show their cred, you would know that that was in their fucking closet. So. Maybe that's why I was slightly annoyed. Maybe that was why I was slightly annoyed. I'm like, I'm not going to listen to that fucking band. <laughs> Mark, I'm going to do you a solid here. Not for you, Mark. It's not for you. It's not for you. Yeah, I'm going to do you a, a big solid. Um, but anyways, they didn't last long. They broke up. Um, and they start bouncing around to some other bands um, and trying new things. And if you listen to these bands, you actually start seeing something change. Um Ian's new band Embrace. They only put out one record and it's got melody. Like he's singing, he's not yelling anymore. He's still got like a punk ethos, like I don't give a fuck about your money kind of stuff, but he's singing and there's there's harmonies going on. Um that's a great record and this new guy popping up in the scene. Well, I don't know about new. He's probably there from the beginning, but he's making a splash with his band rights of spring. And this is guy Picciotto who would go on to be in Fugazi's second, second vocalist. And I got to say, I, I do put my stamp on rights of spring. I think rights of spring is an absolute groundbreaking record as far as bringing emotion, uh, and melody and just, rising action uh, where it's not just all crank to 11 but it can go back and forth dynamics the word i'm looking for rights of spring that one album they put out is awesome and i'm not alone i've read a lot of like people in various genres granted some of them were in like the emo screamo genres but they think that 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 record is a catalyst for a lot of good things. And I, ha- I agree. So that's the, right the first, spring. it's the first emo record as they say, right? They do say that they do. They, I think that's reductive, but it's, it's fine. It's, it's wonderful. Well, the term reductive or the term emo is reductive in itself. Sure. I mean, yeah. I've always thought about that. Like, Oh, the, the genre that's <laughs> emotional music. Well, the majority of music should be emotional. Even Apex twin in its own way is emotional. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think what they're looking for is that a lot of those bands are whiny, but uh, um, yeah, carry on. Uh, we can't we can't go down like the you know the, every <laughs> the 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 Websters on every music genre we're going to touch tonight. So no, no, but I I'm just saying, Rights of Spring and Embrace are two bands that they were in in between before Fugazi, where you can see what's about to happen. And then in those various bands, they've worked with bassist Joe Lally. They work with drummer Brian Canty. And uh, at first, it's just Ian, Joe, and Brandon get together. And Ian wants to make a new band um, that's supposed to sound like the Stooges is playing reggae, which I guess I can see, uh, especially those bass lines. But um, 
they chose the, you know, that the, the phrase from Vietnam war about, you know, basically everything being fucked and they started Fugazi. And after playing a bunch of shows, Guy Picciotto always tried to run up on the stage and sing with them because he was a member of the scene and he was a friend and they didn't know what to do with him. So they brought him <laughs> in as a second vocalist because they wanted to do like a back and forth kind of like how there's a hype guy in a hip hop group. They wanted Guy to be that guy to just do backups and be running around stage. And if you've seen the early video footage of him running up and climbing into basketball hoops and screaming, I mean, he he did his part as a hype man. It's pretty rad. Um, and uh, anyways, I wouldn't they, if, I, if I was in the band and all of a sudden this, you know, Perry Farrell looking motherfucker runs up here and starts shouting in this high pitched voice. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. They're they're they were good men to to figure it all out and put it all together. They were, and he wasn't a stranger. He yeah, I mean, he was a major major player in what they were doing. Um, uh, and, historical uh, note, personal anecdote: uh, Rites of Spring and uh, Embrace. I heard of them because of Eric, because when he was getting me into Fugazi, he was also like, "Oh man!" And then there's a they came from these bands and I, I bought these records on eBay or something. Like, I'm pretty sure you probably bought some shit off eBay of, of those bands. Yeah, that's probably, that sounds right. Absolutely right. Um, but it's Fugazi time and their first record, it's um, classic lineup, except Guy is only doing backup vocals and that will change. Um, uh, 13 songs is not meant to be a full length record. It came out as two EPs. It was later collected as that. Um, and if you ask me as an excellent listen, putting them both together as you, as they sound fully formed from the get go in a little track called waiting room. And, uh, it's, it's quite good. And there's the, it's, it's got, you know, they're, they're self-titled and then margin Walker, um, which is, which is a, a their follow-up EP. And then, um, they brought in, um, you know, more production and they gave, uh, Guy Picciotto, a, his own guitar. So there was two guitars now, two singers, and they get huge in their second album repeater. It's still scrappy. It's still punky, but they're playing with melody. And now they've got a wall of guitars up front. What do you guys think about those two early albums? I do like those first two records. I mean, um, I'll let you know on my rankings. Um, here's the thing. I came into uh, Fugazi with being introduced to them actually through the argument. Um, so I worked my way backwards with this band. Um, you know, I came to this band extremely late. One thing about like how we're going to mesh our personal history and with their actual history, I will say this. Um, he, uh, one of our fellow coworkers were at uh, Dimple and, you know, he had the Frankenstein boots really into psychobilly, um, you know, a true punk. <laughs> I mean, that seemed to go through every phase of every type of punk genre you could potentially go through. But he introduced me to a lot of good music. I mean, uh, it was one of those things that while you, you you would get annoyed with Chris at the drop of a hat, um, but he also like did provide some cool shit. He was he was definitely a really good influence on like introducing me to bands I wouldn't have even thought of. 
And he I'm pretty pro- sure he, he liked to provoke, but I also felt he was a very genuine and loyal guy, but he would like to razz and provoke. But, uh, yeah, he yeah. did. He was a good yeah. dude. Yeah, like when he when he came in and sprayed silly string on me when I was sitting on the toilet in the stall. That <laughs> fucking pit. So fucking pissed. <laughs> yeah, I would be too. You're yeah. at work. <laughs> he was right to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, you, yeah. you, 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 you can go either way there. Um, I feel like Eric was always the yin to uh, Chris's yang. <laughs> Just... He was, they were just playing off of each other, but they're really similar. It's just really crazy in terms of like your musical tastes and your whole trajectory. Cause I mean, Chris even like would dabble into fucking master P rap too. Um, but anyways, yeah, just had to bring that up. Um, so when I was listening to repeater or 13 songs, you know, I was always thinking 13 songs was more of a compilation. That's how it's listed two EPs. Like you said, so that would be always what I started with waiting room of course is an absolute fucking classic song unbelievable um and repeater like there's some moments on there um where you really know that this band has like a fucking airtight rhythm section like an absolute just precise the way that Joe and Brandon like lock in with each other, um, it transcends your normal punk sound. Like there's fucking like having Getty Lee join a punk band at, at times. I mean, not as many slaps and pops, of course, but uh, just intricate bass lines that just lock in with the groove. Well, they'll they'll um, eventually go into like jazzy breakdowns. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it's but no, you're right. It's that the way they're locked in together. That's that's the relationship I'm rooting for. I mean, it is it is it, it it's beautiful. It's a magical thing. No, it really is. I mean, um, I I told Eric um, just like this that rhythm section is just working the grill on every song. I mean, they're just cooking every time. They're like, and that's like those bass lines, like in just these little like frills that they do. It's good stuff. Um, but yeah even for kind of going outside of punk as it was in, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, they were certainly not just trying to be part of a template. It, they had really good songwriting really at the beginning that uh, wasn't just simple three chords, you know? Yes. And a genre was created uh, post-hardcore, which we'll get to later. Yes. Steven, uh, anything about those early albums before I move on? Well, no, I like all their albums. Um, I only got to re-listen to a couple of them for the podcast, but I listened to all of them many times before. But I could, I could sum it up as this. I've listened to one Fugazi album probably a thousand times. I've listened to another one probably 800 times. I've listened to another one probably 500 times. And the others, including these two, I've listened to them probably a couple dozen times each. They're good. They're not my favorites, but they're not bad at all. And Mark is right. Repeater, they definitely grow a little bit. Um, I will say the first one, uh, it, it's kind of, I mean, it, it wasn't recorded as an album, right? But it kind of was made into an album. It was and, two, uh, two EPs, yeah. Yeah, for something that's uh, as ramshackle as, as what they were dealing with, like as, in production and everything, it's, it's a cohesive listen still, I feel. It's not jarring. It doesn't sound like a... 
He doesn't sound like steal this album by uh, the system of a down. <laughs> it's not all over. Yeah. The- and, you know, just one more note about these first early albums is um, a lot of the press out there about repeater is though it didn't really break through at the time bands that did break through like Nirvana were big fans of that record. And they consider this to be part of like the, the cement, like the foundation to like alt rock that would come just a couple years later. And I think that's fair. Can I, can I do a quick detour to your comment there? Um, I made a note today when we went to the snow day that uh, we listened to the argument on Apple music and then I just kicked into like a Fugazi radio station kind of thing. And it was pretty interesting. It like did a, it, it two things. It, it, a lot of good bands started playing. And then it, 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 it reminded me of all the bands that were kind of like feeding off each other in the nineties. But then a lot of bands that we totally could have actually been contenders for this podcast. Um, a few that came up though on the Fugazi radio station were uh, Husker Du which would uh power pop type stuff. Um, Slint, which Slint was post hardcore, I'd suppose. Right, Eric, would that be the genre? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Spiderland. I mean, Slint sounds like they could be a Fugazi side project in my opinion. Um, and uh, what else was there? Helmet and um, Dinosaur Jr. But then one band as like, and this is what you triggered this. When you said Nirvana. Another band that Nirvana loved was the Pixies. And I was like, oh, God damn it. We totally could have done Doolittle in season three. Like, th- that would have been a full meal. Um, anyhow, that's it. That's uh, Those are bands that are in Fugazi's orbit, uh, according to Apple, and I don't disagree. All right. All right. Well, the next album, uh, this, uh, they tried to, they, they were going to, Ted nicely produced the last one. They wanted to use him again, but he couldn't. So Steady Diet of Nothing came out in 91. They produced it themselves. They feel like this is like their most inconsistent record. Um, like they they were figuring out production on their own. Um, and honestly, you can tell. Like in my opinion, this is this is the one of the lower ones. For me, there's a couple absolute like bangers, Long Division, KYEO. That KYEO has one of their best bass lines. Um, there's some good songs on here, but um, there's also the most um, forgettable ones on here as well. Um, my opinion, a low point, but prove me wrong. I mean, I would say that you're right. Uh, but here's the thing about their low point. It is still probably a B plus record. I mean, I don't think they've got anything lower than that grade in their, uh, in their discography. You know, not including like the instrument soundtrack or anything like that, just the studio records. Right. Um, So, yeah, it it is them trying to be already in the experimental mode a little bit um, and trying to, like you said, figure out the production. Um, But, yeah, there's some gems to be had on here. And like I said, it's mostly good, but there are times where there's too many instances where nothing's really hooking me. It is more just kind of like blowing past me as I'm listening to it. Yeah. It always, it, it puts me in a more of a passive listening mood. Definitely. Uh, that's all about to change though, around the corner as we get to in on the kill taker in 92, they first recorded this with Steve Albini, um, 
friend of the show, maybe. But of course they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but they Absolutely. they didn't like they didn't like it. It's funny how a lot of bands like Nirvana like Nirvana are like well, Nirvana like the Albini production okay, but like often Albini recordings will get scrapped. And this one did. It did not do it. And they went back to their old standby nicely. And then Don Ziantara, who owns the recording studio in Virginia, where almost all the Discord bands recorded at Discord House. And they did it on the Kill Taker. And what you get here, and th- I'm sorry, this was released in 93. And you get just um, one of their most dynamic records, big, loud. Um, you get... Uh, like the song instrument, we need an instrument that is, it almost doesn't get bigger than that. You've got great cop, which is like a return to just a straight up hardcore song with big wall of sound, 90 productions, um, you know, a kill takers quality, Steve. What do you think? Oh, I love in on and I love in on the kill taker. It's one of the ones on the high end. Um, it's my third favorite of their records. Um, yeah, this their sounds more expansive. I feel that in on the kill taker and then the next two, three before the argument all kind of sound like the same band. Like it really sounds similar to me in a good way. It's a, it's a good record. That's consistent. Yep. It is Mark. also my third favorite. Uh, record of theirs i think it's pretty consistent um i think i may have heard this second when i uh was starting to get into fugazi so after the argument i think it was this one and then end hits is where i think my first three fugazi records and spoiler alert those are their top three <laughs> for me <laughs> but I, okay. I, I always like that name in on the kill taker too that was a good good album title yeah, solid. Thing. Yeah. Well, they follow this up and now they're like, they're feeling confident with production and they start leaning in on um, like being more experimental. And the next two records I'm kind of, kind of capture together. You got red medicine in 94 and then you got end hits, which dropped in 97. And by the way, this whole time they are touring extensively, like constantly. And um, red medicine comes out and, um, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, you got some great songs like forensic scene target long distance runner. Um, they do dabble in the like long form songs with a lot of jamming going on, which, um, depending upon your interest, you may lose, you lose attention, but they really do dial it in where you still get the jammy, you still get the experimentation, but then you get the really like get in and get out, um, uh, moments as well and end hits. And, um, you know, both are huge progression for the band um, End hits, I think, is the better of the, those two. Uh, but now we're like we're cooking and you are going to see where it's going to go um, with with the argument. Um, and by the way, the song Break or No Surprise off End Hits. Just mm-hmm. you pat my pat my head with a with a with a handkerchief, please. Um, but Mark, what do you think about the uh, we'll call those the experimental phase? Red Medicine is, um, <laughs> it's 
leading up to the high highs of end hits. Um, I think that there's a lot of great ideas being fleshed out here. Whenever I listen to um, some of the Fugazi albums, I want to say like whenever there's seems to be a little bit more heavier on the guy Pizziato, I, I tend to at that point kind of tune out. Steven earlier brought up a great point about who's this Perry Farrell looking motherfucker <laughs> that's just like gyrating around because he was always kind of like, yeah, the flavor flave of the two. And whenever he would kind of get on the mic, I'd be like, oh, OK, let's buckle up. And but I enjoyed it at the same time, like going back through this last run through preparing for the show, like it made me actually appreciate him more. Um, and it kind of like ingratiated me to this record, which I do feel was a little more heavier on, on the guy's vocals. Um, the D- I, think when, I, I, I think when guy, when guy has a plan, when guy knows what he's doing, like, cause he yeah. can be, he can be unhinged when he has a plan. I think mathematically he might be the better singer. I mean, he's got a voice that transcends genres. He could be singing a new wave band and it would work. Like he's yeah. got, he's got a good, like, it's got a good voice, it, but yeah, he's unpredictable, which makes which actually adds a little punk edge to to Fugazi whenever he fucking shows up. You're right, buckle up. But anyways, that's a great point. Um, I, I, something I also saw that Dennis, uh, f- the Lyxian from Refused, said this record was uh, hugely influenced to songs to fan the flames of discontent and the shape of punk to come. Two records that I also hold in really high regard. Um, everything else but I refused is a little rough, but those two records are fucking classic. And this was apparently his favorite Fugazi album. I can hear it. Uh, um, but yeah, End Hits, my second favorite uh, Fugazi album. I've already talked enough, uh, but there's just so many fucking classic moments on this record. Uh, it's... It's great. I'll just leave it at that because I'm sure Steven might talk more about end hits. I won't talk more about end hits. Uh, end hits is good, but I won't talk about red medicine. I actually, in my old car, which I still own, but I never drive an old, an old Prius. Um, it has a six CD changer in it and I've left six CDs in it for years now. And this is one of them. Red medicine's in there. So it's my, uh, the shit goes down and the cloud gets popped. I'll still have red medicine to listen to. Um, it's my second favorite Fugazi album. And I have a physical copy of it still to this day. Bought for six ninety nine from the record store. Somebody probably uh, discounted that himself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, uh, so before we get to the album of the day, there's um, just wrapping things up, cleaning, cleaning up shop here on our friends in Fugazi. So they did make a movie. It's called instrument. It's a documentary on their early years up to right before recording um, argument. The thing is everybody thought they were going to break up with end hits. They, they didn't want to tour as much anymore. Uh, There were rumors going around that end hits was about them coming to an end. Um, And the, but the documentary wouldn't necessarily have you believe that you have all these cool old clips um, you have them playing in the studio, but you don't hear what they're playing. Instead, the soundtrack is completely made up of B-sides and instrumental B-sides and stuff like that, which makes the soundtrack kind of interesting reading music. It's not the most engaging of the records. It's probably the least, but it is cool. And it does have uh, 
the one piano palette ballad they ever did. I'm so tired, which I know Steve and I have an affinity. Yeah, I've listened to that that song. If I've listened to the argument 1,000 times, I've listened to I'm so tired 1,500 times. I'm just that one song. I'll just put it on. I'll it's put it great. on when I'm tired. I'll put yeah. it on. It, you know, it's it's a pretty little ditty. I really like the uh, the production of the piano on it. It's a very sparse song. It just sounds wonderful. It's got a great melody, that little piano melody. It does. Good In song. fact, it was uh, a uh, forget which DJ did it. I, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but he sam- he uh, remixed Wu-Tang Clan uh, acapella performances by sampling Fugazi called Wugazi. I mean, it writes itself. And um, and he did. Uh, I'm so tired with uh, casuals around me. So then we moved to Shallon Land. A young youth, you're rocking the goat soup. No goose. Only way I begin the G York was drug loot. And let's start it like this, son. Um, but anyways, I'm glad inst- you brought up Wugazi. <laughs> the ins- the uh, instrument movie, though, uh, honestly, it not only is it just a beautiful, like, well-made band documentary, but you really know their ethos, which I haven't talked about yet, and like. What they stand for is such a big part of them. That's what you would always hear when you would hear about Fugazi is like, yo, man, they'll never charge you more than $5 for a concert ticket. They don't tell sell t-shirts. If you see one of those, this is not a Fugazi t-shirts. Man, that's like ripped off. And they're they're vegan. They only eat noodles. And they don't drink. And and that this is all true. But the, the mythology around them made them seem like uh, pious saints of the punk order. Um, you know, looking looking for a hand to chop off, but um, uh, I mean, they can't. They couldn't have been that pious if if, if Ian hung out for a weekend with uh, Al Jorgensen and recorded Palehead, which is a fantastic. Side he did, yes. There's a side project <laughs> him and I, I've always thought about that. The, the straight edge kid with Al Jorgensen that is the oddest of couples. Well, well, according to Al Jorgensen in his book and in the Wax Tracks documentary, I met, it might have been during the deleted interviews. He says he got Ian to drink a beer while they recorded. So, oh boy, <laughs> don't don't tell uh, don't tell Henry Rollins. That's right. I did, I, you uh, know, just in the aside section, Henry Rollins and Ian McKay are really good friends because they what, were teenagers together, or early twenties together, grew up like right. They, yeah, both they're, they're both, both DC. yeah, yeah, both DC hardcore. Um, I actually, in my head, this whole time, I thought at least early Black Flag must have been on Discord, but no, they were already doing their own thing. But also on the other end, and I swear we're almost going to start the album just to just to cover Discord records really quick. It um, the best way to talk about it is they released the box set the. 20 years of discord records um and the album is a two discs it's two discs there's a third disc with unreleased tracks and there's a booklet that has descriptions of all the bands but it goes in chronological order and it starts when they're just punk kids going through hardcore and then um uh but you get and you get the idea of a scene coming together and you hear these voices of people and you five different bands with guy picciotto before he joins fugazi and you just hear like this scene evolving. And I, I think that's kind of special. It, they certainly captured an energy and like a vibrant community. Um, but when you get to the 90s, my friends, that's where things really get cooking with band names. 
I mean, you've got you. I mean, I could tell you what they sound like if you really want to know, but who cares? You've got bands like Beef Eater, Egg Hunt, Happy Go Licky. That's Licky with an I. Oh, food related. These first three. Lungfish. You've got Fidelity Jones, and I don't have to tell you. There's some slap bass in that band. Um, <laughs> Highback Chairs, Circus Lupus, and one of the final bands on there is Smart Went Crazy. Um, and these are some of the discord bands over it. And I, and I will say, even if I don't like everything, the songs are pretty short. Um, it's enjoyable. Uh, Ian McKay will tell you with proudly that only two bands on their label ever went on to get major records, major, major, major record deals. Uh, Dag Nasty. They went on to Epitaph Records and became kind of like a pop punk band. And, uh, Shudder to Fate. Two, both fine fine bands that, that went on to have have uh, careers after Discord. You know, there's not enough time for it tonight. But the idea of bands like, like the idea of going to a major label and making money off what you love as a detriment is something that's kind of funny that for decades we're just like, you know, the term sellout. I mean, just as I've gotten older. And I'm just like, what, what's wrong with selling, what, making money off what you love? It's fine. You know, it's just, uh, it's funny. Ian McKay is an extremely intelligent dude and he, but he's got his ethos and I'm surprised that, uh, he's proud. <laughs> None of these bands ever went on to bigger and better things. So that's all right. I guess ever since you decided it was okay to play in uh VFW halls for your entire career, everybody else should <laughs> understood Ian. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, that's that's I could be getting his tone wrong there, but that that only two bands out of out of uh, forty seven uh, went to major labels as a badge of honor. I'm like, well, hope the other ones ended up getting careers and <laughs> or something. But you know, but, I mean, it, it would be another detour to go down it this evening. But yeah. I was trying to map out. It is like I said earlier, proto bands became like bands I liked that were in these earlier stages. You know, and some of them were you know, were playing in the if you if you your minor threat probably played with Operation Ivy, who was probably sharing bills with early versions of Neurosis, um, that then played shows at the Gilman with Green Day. Um and I, I was listening to uh the WTF podcast had Billy Joe Armstrong on this week. And I've been I've been enjoying going back and revisiting Green Day. I think we even talked about that last episode. But even he said, he's like, yeah, you know, when we got accused of selling out, I'd be like, okay, whatever. I mean, maybe your band just sucks. So I'd say, like, you know what? <laughs> that might be true. <laughs> so anyhow. Yeah. No. And and the the legacy of of what Fugazi created can be heard in probably at least in the articles I've read, and yes, some of those being in the now defunct Pitchfork, is is the post-hardcore scene is actually going through a huge resurgence right now with these new bands. Uh, Steve, I mean, I know you uh, you recommended Turnstile to me a few years ago. That's a great record, Glow On. You've got um, bands like Drug Church, who I really like. got like the armed um and just these bands that take that that you can if you listen to those and you think about fugazi when you you can totally hear it it's 
It's loud. They might scream here and there, but there's melody, and they bring in jo other genres and production techniques that kind of uh, transcended. But they're all kind of doing their own argument, um, and and it's great. And I actually I, I love that genre. I love that there's a lot to listen to in that genre right now. Yeah, post 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 hardcore. The, yes. the grandchildren of post hardcore. That's true. I guess I guess maybe at the drive-in can still wear the post hardcore uh, badge when they were around. But, well, I yeah. tell you what, we'll talk about it tonight, but. I thought about having to drive in a few times and listen to this record. We should start reviewing it. Well, let's get to it. Uh, they went back to Virginia to record this um, and uh, working with their uh, longtime producer um, who owned the... Uh, who owned the Discord house. This was um, Don Ziantara at Inner Ear Studios. They worked on it and um, it dropped. Uh, not a lot to say about it. I mean, we'll get to it. The meat's in the record. It dropped in um, uh, 2001. And um, at the same time, they also released a little EP called the Furniture EP with uh, B-sides from this record, three songs worth listening to, but we're not going to get into it. Um, and uh, it dropped right after 9-11, even though the songs were written much before it. Uh, uh, none of us would have any idea kind of like, like we all knew how impactful it was when we heard it the same year 9-11 happened and how, especially how the U.S. responded to 9-11 um, military-wise. So, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's just do it. Track one uh, is a intro. Um and you have Amy Dominguez on cello and you hear a radio transistor going, um, definitely pulling up kind of those wartime sounds. Um, and that's the theme across this record. It's a record, it's an anti-war record through and through. There might be some other things about capitalism and stuff in there, but it all relates back to war. And, um, and uh, this intro sets the stage and we get right into Cash Out. Cash Out is, uh, starts with uh, quite an upbeat beat. You still have the uh, the Amy Dominguez cello on it, and um, you got a song here. This is uh, looking at gentrification and evictions that happen. Um, I mean, the lyrics itself. I mean, it, Ian McKay is singing so damn catchy on this. I sing along with him every time. Uh, on the morning of the first eviction, they carried out the wishes of the landlord and his son. Furniture's out on the sidewalk next to the family. The little piggy went to market, so they're kicking out everyone. God damn. That's just, it's vicious. It's meaningful. And you can't sing along without being kind of radicalized. Um, and uh, what you get here is a very upbeat, poppy Fugazi song that has a lot of movements. Mark, what do you think about Cash Out? So you're right, Eric. Um, 
Well, first, uh, about Untitled, uh, because I do think it's appropriate to just point this out. It has like an orchestra tuning up for that symphony feeling and then that guitar screech and then just kicks into this song. That's fantastic. Uh, and we'll come back to that uh, kind of motif at the very end of the record. Spoiler alert. But Cash Out, it kind of bops along to the verses. It seems to me like a protagonist that's walking down like a neighborhood and singing about all the changes that they're actually seeing and seeing poor folks being pushed out. The whole topic of gentrification and real estate greed. I mean, to your point, Eric, about being radicalized, you know, uh, Fugazi and punk are obviously very, you know, to the left. And I love that. That, that, that kind of endears me to this and understanding and empathizing over, you know, people over, over, over money. Um, and the fact that it's called Cash Out obviously exemplifies that even more. Um, but that chorus, when it explodes into that catchy hook of everybody wants somewhere, somewhere, unbelievable. So fucking great. Um, it's so big. And like, if you just look at the lyric, everybody wants somewhere like that is that's a really sweet endearment. And, and it, I don't know. It's true. Yeah, it's great. It's it's uh it's a raise your fist in the air moment. Um, cash out is phenomenal. Did they tour for this record? Speaking of raising your fist in the air. They did not. They did not. That would have been wonderful. They yeah, were done they and they went on hiatus a uh, year and a half after it dropped. And they're still on hiatus. <laughs> yeah. No, we didn't even talk. I mean, we didn't talk about how we got into the band, really. Um I know we're in the middle of this first song here before it fell down too too far down the rabbit hole. I, I got into this band when this album came out because Eric told me, hey, this is a Gazi band. And then I worked my way backwards like Mark said earlier. So uh, there you go. There's my origin. <laughs> um, uh, Eric, you didn't say how you got into them, though. That's true. Um, sorry. Mark kind of did his. And then in my head, I was like, check, we can't cover that part of the agenda. And I, sorry about that, Steve. You are your own person. And uh, as am I. Uh, I. <laughs> no, I I was aware of them by those. This is not a Fugazi T-shirt, and like people writing Fugazi on things in my high school. And I was always kind of curious. Um, and uh, at some point, I started buying some punk and post-punky stuff when I first started working at Dimple. And actually, yeah, it was our it was our shared friend uh, Chris that that said, "Well, why don't you why don't you start with this one?" And he, he gave me a used like End Hits, and I bought it, and um, the rest the rest was history. But I did start with End Hits. And so yeah, I was away. I was away at college when the argument dropped, and um, and I bought it that first week it was out. Um, still reeling with all the crazy, you know, just the craziness of college culture. Post uh, two weeks post nine eleven. So yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. You know, somebody definitely told me to buy this, and I did. And I thought it was you. Maybe it wasn't. Probably was. But it definitely was. Somebody said, "Buy this. It's great." And I was like, "Oh, this is good." And I worked my way backwards. It probably was. I was I was shoving it down everyone's throat, and I, I, I did. It would have been about two thousand two when I was working with with both of you. So, I did hear about Fugazi in the late nineties, just because of the punk kids at high school talking about it. But based off the other music they liked, like I was like, all right, so the lady that's into Crass and the other guy that's into uh, Operation Ivy, they're suggesting this band Fugazi. Well, then it's probably not for me because those bands were not for me. Um, anyhow, getting into this song, this song is for me. Great opener. 
uh, I do. Yeah, I, I really the song sets you up for like, you know, what you're kind of getting into, into here in this album, which is uh, each of the most of these songs are pretty dynamic. They typically will have at least, uh, you know, one or two kind of like tonal shifts. Um, and then this one, the first thing that comes to me is that I didn't go through all the Fugazi albums again, but I don't remember cellos in any of their other albums. Maybe. No. And the, 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 the having the cello player on a couple of tracks in this album, this one in particular really gets out, gets to me, especially when she's going at it, when they're doing the, uh, shouting along that everybody wants some place to live, uh, line. Yeah, they don't um, go over the top with instrumentation uh, on this album in general, and this is the most they ever use. And it's cello, and it's piano here and there, and like other than that, it's just the core four. Well, they did bring a new another drummer in though. Like they oh, have two drummers on this record. Shit, Mark, you're right. I'm sorry. That's on one track, I think. But yes, no, but no, no. A couple of he, them. A couple yeah, of yeah, them. No, yeah, he's yeah. Who is that? Uh, I'll call it when I hear it. There's one track where it really stands out to me. That's all I know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, all right. Well, anyways, we'll get back to him on that. Yeah, track. but no, yeah, a there is a second drummer. That uh, Jerry Busher. That opening. That opening slide on the fret the fretboard. I love that sound. It sounds very tactile. It sounds very just good on the ears. Um, that rant. Uh, and yeah, just the like Mark said, they got a rhythm section to kill for. The drums and the bass sound really clear. Yeah, there's not a lot of different instruments on this album, but they're all produced very well. separated very well uh theme wise this track i didn't even realize it related to me until i realized it related to me um a lot of it's about gentrification it's about landlords kicking everybody out and selling to the uh, developers and we all know that happened in san francisco for years probably i think it might have died down a little bit but um when i moved out of san francisco i, I cashed out myself i tried to cash out myself uh, our building was rent controlled to an extent and I was moving back to Sacramento and, uh, I waltzed, I waltzed down to the, uh, the people that owned the building. When we moved into the building, it was owned by like a, an old hippie and he sold the building to a developer. They didn't just kick everybody out, but over the years they started encouraging people to leave and they would flip it, flip the, uh, the units. And you could see like the unit we lived in looked like it was made in 1972 the people upstairs had theirs renovated and it looked like it was made in you know, 2014. Um, anyhow, we were going to leave and I was like, you know what? If we're going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to make them think that they need to buy me out to get me out of here. And so I went down to their offices and I like, like made a meeting with the, the people and uh, God, that was like nine years ago. Now I think if I were to do that now, I'd be a lot more uh, intelligent about it. But I, I just waltzed in there and I was like, look, we both know you guys can make a lot of money on uh, our apartment and uh, we're just, you know, I, I think, I, I think we've got other things to be doing and, you know, I, I don't, I don't need to leave, but I could be enticed to leave if you know what I'm saying. And I was like, I want, I want $10,000. They were like, we'll give you a thousand dollars. I was like, sold. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, it's just really, uh, 
stuck to wow. my guns there. Jeez, the brass balls <laughs> on your negotiating skills there. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't tell my current employers that uh, because I make a living doing the, the, the opposite of that now. But uh, yeah. Anyhow, uh, Cash Out's a great song. Yes, and after that, uh, do they turn down the intensity? No, they crank it up with a little song called Full Disclosure. Full Disclosure has a quite, it's got a, quite a ripping buildup. Bass and drums doing their fucking dance. Full on Picciotto freak out with I want out, I want out. Um, uh, borderline almost annoying, but it works in a rock and roll, roll way. And um, uh, there's some backing vocals on this song. Kathy Wilcox um, from uh, the, uh, Kathy Wilcox is from Bikini Kill. And Bridget Cross is from uh, Unrest. It was a band I never listened to, but they were on 4AD and Matador, so maybe I should check them out. Um, anyways, uh, you got here this just song that's about the nihilistic madness of war. Um, and then at, there's a post-bridge around 250 where the gar- guitar starts ripping into the stratosphere, and this song takes you on a journey. Um, starts a little choppy and then kind of goes nuts. Uh, Steve, what do you think about Full Disclosure? Uh, Bikini Kill, a band I never listened to, but I remember seeing uh, or hearing about them all the time as well. Full Disclosure is great. Um, you're right. Those opening Picciato vocals, you're like, oh, no. And just much like System of a Down, who we talked to in the last record, as soon as I'm ready to hit that dial, song changes. It has a dynamic shift, if you will. Um, you know, I do I do like the, the, the whole I want out thing. Um, it starts out really abrasive but gets very melodic guy picciato is actually a better singer than uh, i give him credit for he's actually he can be a good singer um you know when he, when he chooses to uh, but also i think sometimes he goes for that higher register to convey some kind of emotion um yeah this song starts as one thing it quick it, it turns into another it has a very explosive rising action finale that i like a lot of good guitar work, a lot of interplay between the two guitars. And that's Guy Picciotto on the other guitar there, and he's actually a pretty good guitar player. Um, Fugazi has a mature intensity to them that they don't... It's it's very... I like that they do not... When they want to convey a strong emotion, rarely do they go for the lowest common denominator and just be childish about it or angst filled a, a lot of i do like the fact that we're talking about this record after we talked about system of a down in the, la- the last record because a lot of the same political themes are there uh it was released and recorded around the same time as the last one but while on the last record uh you know the guys from system of a down or many new metal bands would use a whole bunch of uh, f-bombs um childish innuendos to make their point Fugazi's very just measured about telling you how they feel 
and they have a mature intensity to them that I like. They don't resort to shock tactics to tell you how, how good the song is emotionally. Does that make sense what I'm saying here? They get their point across without slamming you in the face with it. <laughs> it's called, <laughs> you know? it's called subtle. It's called subtlety. It's, it's, yeah. it's a sign of a, yeah. Like you said, a mature, mature songwriter. They never, yeah, but they never cool. sacrifice the emotion for the, for the, you know, the, the, the emotion is still there even when it's not incredibly intense. Yeah. Mark, how you doing over there? <laughs> I was really enjoying uh, Steven's journey on this song with the, Oh no, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> because I'll be honest. I, it's uh it's a like mind, you know, guys lead vocals. It's just always more of a spastic affair. Uh, it, 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 his, his, singing style is very similar to his dancing style you know his dancing style is as if he's fighting a ghost on stage and he kind of has that same live wire energy um and it's kind of neat because the guitar line on and then how he's delivering his vocals it is like an electrical current happening um and then just like Steven said, just when you think that you've had enough and you think, okay, maybe is this song just going to be like this, that's where it kind of breaks into that amazing chorus really gets big. Um, I love the ooze in the background. Um, they're starting to do like, like really understanding, like really strong songwriting. Um, they're transcending any part of what they've done before. It's almost like they're out to make their own version of pet sounds. Um, it's good stuff. I, I I really do think that we're we're hitting Fugazi when they're really getting everything together. Um, still being able to have a foot in the past, but really also showing you what they could possibly do in the future. Or this is the culmination of what they have been trying to do. Exactly, and. And I, 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 like I said, I generally like guys' vocals, um, but like I said, he was borderline on annoying, or maybe he was being annoying. Uh, but talk about, talk about a, a, a full rebound in one song. My goodness. But uh, that's about, in, in my opinion, that's, you know, that's maybe the only part of the, the if, if you were to look at this on a graph that of enjoyment the i want outs might be the lowest the lowest valley on that chart um i could be wrong you guys may have other opinions but uh, moving on to the next track we've got epic problem So Epic Problem um, is uh, another just pretty, pretty powerful, um, like the, the pace of the record does not let up yet. And um, we get a, uh, it starts like a pistol um, and the vocals come in pretty quick. We regret to inform stop. And like the way the verses do that for the beginning of the song is pretty fun. 
um, as they're kind of like doing a letter that you would get when somebody has died in the war or a telegram rather, because that's when you would say stop at the end of every sentence. Um, and, uh, the lyrics kind of go between letters informing of a dead loved one to callous mental gymnastics that people supporting the war go through to justify losing life for this cause. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of that epic problem is, um, uh, we're in a, pro we've got a big problem. We're at war, but you're convincing yourself. It's not a problem for you. You're safe at home, um, in America. And, uh, it's truly a song in three parts. And, uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think of each part. Um, we get back to you, Mark. Is it possible not to air drum to this song? It is not, not possible. No, no. It is not possible. No, it's a hypnosis. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, if you don't air drum to this song, I mean, this song and Phil Collins in the air tonight should be the top one and two. You decide which is one and two would be one of those songs that you just cannot deny doing some air drums. I mean, if you don't, you're a psychopath and you have no love in your heart. So it's impossible. This is the pinnacle of Fugazi for me. Like literally, this is everything that you want to hear from this. is epic problem all about um and he said that they had been working on this ever since like repeater um they had this bass riff and they just never could quite figure out how to craft the rest of it it oh. became known as their epic problem um and you know he goes on to say some other things just how it's not that you're sensitive but I don't know. I mean, literally, this song has many meanings. It's not exactly uh, right at face value, but it, apparently it's it's a little confusing for a lot of people. But I don't know. Every time I hear this song, especially, you know, the part where there's like a little bit of a key change and it's just absolutely like goosebump inducing. Um I, I like the, the bring when it goes bring yeah. and then it gets all kind of airy and jazzy for a minute. Like when I say a minute, I mean not a minute, two measures, and then it goes right back to crunch. Yeah, I mean it's it it is an absolute sea voyage on this song. Um, this is one of those songs that after I want to like it finishes, I'm gonna hit repeat. I want to hear that again. Um, it just gives me that vibe, you know. Let me take another look at you every time. I hear this song. It it is my favorite Fugazi song, bar none. Nice, good choice, good choice. 
Steven, epic problem. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, a few times tonight I'll say this is my favorite song on the album. Tied for my favorite song on the album. There's a lot of good songs on this album. Um, yeah, and, and I'll back everything Mark said. But, you know, that there's that. I mean, the highlight on this track is where it goes from like, it's like a really intense song. And then it breaks down into like that really quiet lullaby part. Um, and there's like barely any instruments behind it. That's, that's wonderful. And the song explodes again. It's like rising action, a dip rising action. It's, it's wonderful. Um, and it, by the time, I mean, the song, when it's done, you gotta, you know, you want a cigarette. Uh, it's, it's been such a good experience. This is, this is one of those tracks where I said earlier, you could really hear how at the drive-in were Fugazi fans. Uh, I definitely, there are moments in this that remind me of at the drive-in. Um, I mean, that's just because at the drive-in were in very informed by Fugazi. Uh, the, the guitar harmonics I like, the guitar interplay, the guitars kind of talking to each other during the chorus. The guitars really push and pull each other well on this track. Um, the bass tone is very good on this track. The bass tone is really good on this record, but the bass tone on this track uh, alone. The production on this record is, I mean, this is 2001. I guess Pro Tools might be used by some bands, but I, I mean, it, it sounds kind of like I'm imagining this was analog production. It sounds about as good as an analog album could sound. Um, all the instruments have room to breathe, but it doesn't really sound busy. Uh, it's very good. Very good song. I mean, I know they use computers, but <laughs> just, uh, sure. It's, sure. It's, it's, it's before they, you could, you know, pitch perfect tune everything like they do these days. Well, it doesn't have that like too compressed. Yeah. There sound. you go. There's like a lack yeah, of comp- yeah. compression. Everything sounds organic. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. It's got yeah, organic yeah. production feel to it. Well, speaking of that, the next song is one of the best examples of that. We got life and limb. So Life and Limb, we uh, um, just personnel wise, we're just bringing Bridget Cross back from Bikini Kill to do some backing vocals. And um, uh, we got a song about the national obsession with violence. Uh, hey, we want our violence doubled. No, but really in a loving way. We want our violence doubled. No, but we really want it right away. Like part that's like a super complex lyric, but it's like justifying violence for war. And the second part is enjoying violence for entertainment um later in the lyrics they meta they use a metaphor of like an iv bag just like pump that shit into my veins uh, how america enjoys that and um being in war will only intensify that um song itself is very airy um uh everything has a lot of room to breathe in this although there is still um changes and at some point it kind of becomes like a low-key dance track like it's it's got a little bop to it and um there's a guitar solo and hand claps which is syrup on the ear steve what do you think about life and limb yeah no this is one of the songs that does breathe a little bit on this album um there's another one that breathes really well too that i have some notes on 
about how difficult it must be to play a song and keep in time when a song can breathe this much. The song moves enough, though, to where, you know, it's got a beat, like you said, that you could dance to. Um, I like how it kind of warms up in the beginning. Uh, I, I I think that some of the guitar, like it's got a, it's got like a smooth progression to it. Um, it's got a good beat. I do like those. The uh, what's her name? The lady is the lady from Bikini Kill on this one, right? Bridget Cross. Yeah, I like her vocals on it. Um, I, I God, there's one part on it where everything like stops, and then the bass, drum, and rhythm guitar like kind of come back together for like a solo in the middle of it. That's really good. Um. You got hand claps. You're right. That's it's a good song. It's put together well. Kind of reminds me of Elastica, and that's not just because they're it's got some female vocals on it. Um, I just feel like it's got that like sense of rhythm and drive to it. Um, I don't know if I entirely agree with you that all the songs are tied back to war. I didn't research the lyrics enough. I do agree with you that obsession with violence definitely makes sense. Um. Well, I think like like cash out isn't a, is literally about like class war. It's that I mean, so it's it, the argument as an album is about that kind of that argument between uh, the, the haves and have nots and and America's interest in okay, other countries. So war, like, yeah, war between two sides, not necessarily like you know the the Vietnam War. No, okay, no, 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 and because because we would go to war pretty quickly after nine eleven it was easy to pull out those those pieces, but there's a lot of just like domestic war ideas or the no, war of no. ideals. Yeah. Um, so despite the heavy uh, topic musically, this is certainly like a sexy Fugazi song has <laughs> a vibe to it. It has a, uh, you know, driving with the top down and the streets of Miami kind of vibe to it. Not in a cheesy way, but it just has a more of a sultry vibe for, for Frugazi, you know? Um, so I, the one thing about uh, this song that really does save it for me is Joe's baseline. Um, it just really keeps the trains running on time um, in the sense of just having it be, what's really carrying this song forward. I mean, it's, it's not one of my favorites, but I would even say that in certain cases, the middle of this album really starts to go into more of a slow, more of a um, atmospheric for uh, Fugazi. But uh, this one starts that out. It's not bad, but uh, I mean, I still like it. The, but when I first listened to this album, like it was one of the ones that I was starting to tune out just a little bit. But over time, this is the one that I really started to appreciate more. Yeah. The uh, the danciness of this reminds me of a Discord band I wanted to ask you guys about. Um, did, you, did you guys ever check out the makeup? Which side are you going to be on? Are you a Sasuke's? Or is your angle? They're, no. they're, yeah, they're on Discord, and they started as Nation of Ulysses, and then they became the makeup. And the makeup is a very, like, dancey, almost like pre-Yayayaz, pre-The Faint kind of band. They're fun. They're a lot of fun, and they've got that kind of 
dancey, but with very minimal instruments, kind of like much like this song. So, anyways, I was a fan of the Nation of Ulysses. For the record, yep, yeah, yeah. And by, same, and by same fan, same. I mean I think I own like a couple of used albums. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. No, they were one of the standouts from the early, early years of Discord for sure, for sure. And that brings us to the kill. Kill, uh, according to them, is about um, like these this kind of trend during the '90s to the 2000s, and now to this day, obviously, it's become even more of a problem, and that's um, using a militarized p- uh, police force, um, using ex-military as your police officers instead of like community members and neighbors and people that live there, like bringing in the this this uh this militarized force um obtain a degree in annihilation i'm not a citizen i'm not a citizen um laying down in chambers waiting for the call so seen your kind so many times you got no chance at all uh solemn vocals ian is singing it's beautiful ian singing and he, I, I like ian as a singer and and um he's gotten better over the years and uh Mostly when he's like uh, the most pretty as a singer is when he's vulnerable and almost like I don't want to. This I don't mean this as an insult, but almost like childlike in his delivery. I don't know if he that makes sense. I don't mean to say that in like because I agree he's like they're a very mature sounding band, but just that kind of like height like when he like goes up a pitch and it sounds nice and and almost yeah. breaks but doesn't. Um, it's spacey. There's a dubness to this song with like a lot of echoes. Um, bringing it back to like kind of where they wanted to start. Um, it's very simple, but then the whistles come in. Mark, what do you think about the kill? Uh, kind of like the last track, but this one here is also that bass is really turned up to 11. Um, I swear uh, I was driving from back from Chico back home for my work. And this song, or actually, I have to say, this album was—I think it broke my speaker on my right passenger door. Um, like literally, <laughs> I just got the car too from from work, and it—it's rattling now um, <laughs> because I was listening to this fucking song. Honestly, I was listening to this goddamn album today. Today, when we were driving to the snow, we were listening to the album as a family. I noticed on this song, I was like, "My God, that bass is really doing something down there!" Like. And then, and we're, we're listening to this, we were the, the it was a family trip and so when you're with the family you can't crank things like it's at that level to where we can still talk to each other you can barely hear the music but you know what you're listening to but it's not loud enough to discern anything and i was just like jesus christ the bass on this song like all i could hear was that bass so, i hear you i mean to the point where you can't even hear ian at sometimes like you have to have your ears squint yeah, if that makes sense. However, I do like this song. Despite the mixing choices, I, I do think that um, when Ian does go into that mode, he's like the punk Moby, you know? It's 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 just something that... Is that just because he's bald? Come on. <laughs> Sorta. <laughs> Not gonna 
gonna lie. I mean, if Moby uh, would just put a little, like, beanie that's too small for his head on the top, he might chill out a little bit and be cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, one thing that you said, the spaciness, it's absolutely here. Um, I, I think that when I heard this for this particular run-through, I think I listened to it maybe three or four times just in the last couple weeks. There's certainly a little bit of Radiohead in here in this one. Um, I don't know if they were also a little influenced by what was going on with what they were doing with Kid A, but I certainly just did feel a little that in here. Um, That's so funny. I have that as a note on the my next on the next track. Yeah, no, this is a, this is the song I was talking about to where it's so slow, and it's not slow as in like boring. It's just the 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 answering of the guitars to each other and the echo effect and that, that baseline and just the ethereal feel of the song. It probably like, it takes talent. I imagine to play that slow to keep time. Um, that's, that's the first thing I noticed There's a lot of echoing and spaciness to this song. It's one of those songs where like, it, it kind of sounds like the dead of night. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do really like this track. Um, and the, you know, some of the, 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 the lyrics in this one about not being a citizen. Um, and just, you know, what is it, what is it to be a citizen, uh, in a place where it's hard to be a citizen <laughs> is, is good stuff. Um, I, I, I feel that it's some of their best lyrical work on this, uh, album, which is saying something. Uh, the, yeah, it's a deceptively good song. Um, it's sparse, but good. I don't have much more to say besides that. It's just, it's a very sparse song that it, it, it's more mood than melody for me, more mood than melody. This track, that's what I'm looking for. More mood than All right. Me. That's my final statement. <laughs> more mood than melody. And uh, let's let's go on. Let's go on to the next one. Um, we got Strange Light. Light brings back some cello work by Amy Dominguez, and um, you've got, uh, you know, this this track is interesting lyrics. Um, it starts with like some like you know workers in the factory. It's hard to punch a clock on the site where production stopped. Like capitalism, like fucking up the workforce. Um, I'm in a warehouse full of junk some things, uh, for some, some ones, uh, probably, you know, there, there may be an Amazon worker out there or something that's, that's saying that, that line out loud. Um, but it ends with optimism, get on your shoes, put on, put them on your feet, baby, come on over. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's looking at this, this world where it's sometimes when you're in the grind, you can get kind of bogged down by the collapse and disrepair, but 
sometimes love and human connection can help you get over that. And that's actually like, I think Fugazi's in their comfort zone when they're talking about politics, but when they can reach out and talk about human connection and love, like that's, that's them pushing themselves. And I think that's a good thing. And I, and I think that's really sweet. Um, uh, some might call it a trite idea. I don't, I think it's very sweet and I think it's honestly the truth. Um, uh, so uh, lyrically, I, 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 this, this is one of the a top song for me. Um, the song itself, I thought this had Radiohead vibes with the spacey riffs swirling around this, the soft voice. And then the whole band comes in, then it gets chunky and kind of gets out of Radiohead. This one, you can actually hear piano hits, big old piano hits happening. Um, the song is really surprising. I think it's a surprising track. Steve, what do you think about strange light? I agree with you. The song in its pounded piano chords, uh, and swirling guitars is one of my favorite tracks on the album. Again, many songs might be my favorite tracks. This one actually reminds me of the Beatles of, of all bands. This reminds me of when the Beatles get loud and the Beatles have those songs where they get loud. Um, not just she's so heavy. There's a few other ones, something about the melody and the heaviness towards the end of this track that down, 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 reminds me of the Beatles when the Beatles got heavy the few times they did. Uh, one of my favorite songs on the album it 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 does i like the whispered vocals uh during the, the some of the verses i like the sh- sung vocals during the course the, the choruses um uh has really good rising action the interplay between the guitars is great especially in the end just the, the building rising action part at the end there it's one of their darker sounding songs because of how heavy it is, but it's not dark in a um, uh, uh, feeling. Um, it's a little resigned. It's a little alienated, but I don't feel like it's dark. Um, it's very effective. It's a goddamn good song. One of their best. And this, this song couldn't have been made on their first, like four records. The, uh, the, 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 the fully mature Fugazi wrote this song. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Mark, do you think this light is just kind of basic or do you think it's a strange light? You know how I like some strange. Um, so. <laughs> okay. At least I got that out of the way. Um, all right. So I agree with everything that uh, Stephen said. Um, this is the centerpiece, I feel, of the record. Um, smack dab right in the middle. Uh, the song's working title made me smile a little bit. African kink was what they were calling it. I think they did the right thing by calling it strange light. <laughs> what? It's true. I did read that as well. Yeah. <laughs> the song creeps up on you and it's a, it's a, it's, it's not boring by any means, but it's building to a certain destination um act three of this song because it does seem to be a three act like play this is how cinematic they're weaving it that's when everything come to comes together you know um the song sort of edges you into that direction way too many sexual (laughs) innuendo here um but at the end of the day uh it 
it does really culminate to that four minute mark takes on that, that part, that heaviness that reminded Steve of the Beatles and that cello, um, just building that tension. Um, it's, it's a big sounding song, uh, for like a punk band. I mean, it's, could be a rock opera song. Um, it's, it's something else. Um, strange light, unbelievable work. Very good. And that's what they call you the four minute Mark. So <laughs> yeah, that's why. <laughs> oh, 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 push. Oh, oh, number one oh, in acquisitions. All right, so O is uh, is a little track, um, and it's about the dot com bubble. And you have to remember, in two thousand and one, the nineties dot com. I mean, I don't know why I'm talking to people that listen to the show or like Gen Z that don't know what the dot com bubble was. Most of our listeners are, are are probably our age, but anyways, at that time, the uh, the mass buying and selling uh, Wall Street uh, nonsense around dot coms was you would you, you were seeing websites uh, pop and disappear uh, and um, it was it was ending the 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 the, the dream was the dream was coming to an end um, and and becoming something else um, but the song itself is about um, kind of the greed around that. Um, and it's almost a call to action. Like the perspective of the song is what if one person that worked in that world, uh, like fucked everything up to make a difference for the better. And you get to that towards the end when you start singing, I'm changing all the locks. I'm pissing on your modems. I'm shredding all the stocks, uh, choose a color for your ceiling. I'm waiting for the bottom to drop. So burn it all down on the way out. Um, just kind of like a burn it all down anthem for the tech era. And, um, anyways, Classic Fugazi sound. This is one, as opposed to the last track, this could have been on repeater, the way it sounds. It's got a little more reverb on the bass, um, it's, but it's having a dance with the drums. Guitars chunk around, and uh, the piss on, on your modems is a great line, um, even though nobody knows what modems are anymore. It's, it's still a great line. And uh, it never kind of ascends past, like, like mid-level Fugazi and that's okay. Like they, like this is their sweet spot and has been since 13 songs, like the way they sound on this song. Um, and it features all three singers, um, guys doing lead vocals. Um, Ian does the outro and then Joe Lally sings the your secrets out part and, uh, fun stuff. Mark, what do you think about? Oh, Um, I always love a good O. Um, this is original recipe. I should have said, Fugazi. show me your, I should have said, show me your O face. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is original recipe Fugazi. Like you were saying, um, did have me just randomly saying your secrets out randomly in the real world. That 
it's a hooky little little backing vocal that Joe throws in there. I like that. I love that stuff because I do think that chorus is a song saver um, in the sense of not being like a traditional like Fugazi's song that you would find on repeater, like you mentioned. Like, I do think that they were able to like, let's do one of like our old ones, but make it for the the new time. Um, there is a part on this song where that guitar kind of signals that key change. And then like the, the drums like clack, 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 clack. And then that part kind of goes into a whole nother like area. Um, that's, that's a hit the deck moment for me. I, I love that part in this song. Um, it's ramping up like this, this album I think is perfectly sequenced, perfectly sequenced because it's like building up towards the finale and, and we're, we're kind of, starting right now that's right steve oh <clears throat> yeah it's um it's a good song like you guys said this is probably original flavor fugazi um the pacing the delivery of the lyrics um it's a little it's a little bit more punky dubby even i don't know maybe um but uh it's a, yeah it's a, it's a slow burn of a track i do like the line cruising towards a bruising crash thread held anvil is going to cr- break um and following all the modems like eric said nobody knows what a modem is anymore I, I, did they even know them then i don't know but uh yeah it's my least favorite song on the album, but that doesn't mean it's a bad song at all. Absolutely not. It's just the album is stacked with the B pluses through A pluses. So this is simply a B. All right. Well, um, can you be an X spectator? That's our next song. How about that? So, X Spectator, it starts with a great drum beat. It's distinctive. This is where you really hear that uh, Busher uh, second set, the two sets at once. Yes. Um, uh, definitely the... one playing a beat and one doing like insane fills. I, I enjoy two, two drum, drums going at the same time. I, I, generally... I love two drums at once. That was one of my favorite things about Neurosis. Um, many bands, but specifically Neurosis. Like, sure the Melvins and many jam bands had like second drummers, but I did like it when, and probably this is how this was too, where it would just be one drum for percussion. And like every few songs, like the guitar player would go over there and just do some percussion during the start of a song and then get back to playing guitar. That's the vibe I get on this track. I love it. it makes me nostalgic. Yeah. Two, two drums, one cup. Um, and the, the song is uh, it's based around that beat. Um, there's some other interesting uh, instru- the instrumentation that's happening. Like um, 
of course, like Ian's doing some scream verses, which are cool. And then there's like a xylophone or piano uh, that happens. Uh, and then there's like this whole guitar riff off at about three minutes and 30 seconds. That's great. Um, musically, this is a, a, a experimental song for them in a great way. It's still pretty contained. Lyrically, this one may be the most hard for me to decipher. It's lyrics like um, uh, the uh, can an observer be a participant? Have I seen too much? Does it count if it doesn't touch? It's about like how documentarians can't interact with their subjects, but it's also about how like, I think it's also about how like if you just report the news, but you're reporting like something horrible without commentary, like how are you ever going to change the world? Like, um, I don't know. I, that's what I think they're getting at in this. And I also think there's a little inklings of like reality TV and just like, uh, you know, um, essentially like, uh, reinforcing bad behavior. Uh, it's, it's it, lyrically, it's all over the place. Um, but it kind of doesn't matter because it's interesting what they're saying. And the music is extremely interesting. So X spectator, Steve, what do you think about X spectator? Yeah, this again is another one of my favorite songs on the album. We have many favorite songs on this album. I already talked about the double drums. Um, it's one of uh, Ian McKay's more uh, impassioned vocal deliveries, I think, on this uh, this album. Um, this this song is another one where the cello comes back. Uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I'm an expectator. Never let my never let my vision get in the way of me. The way he delivers that is great. Um, and uh, what do you think, Mark? Yeah, I, I also struggled to understand what exactly what was being said here. Um, but it does like have a very good imagery around someone who's not sure if they can participate or, you know, be a part of whatever is happening here. I had no, I, in my research, like I was trying to like, what are some people say about this song? Cause I can't quite figure it out. Um, but that's kind of the beauty. Uh, they can be, uh, very direct in what they're talking about. And at other times they can be very ambiguous. Um, so I do like the fact that they're able to show a bit of lyrical range not being so ham-handed, oh, this is just a punk band that has a political agenda. Um, there's a lot of looking inwardly as well. This could be like almost like a tool <laughs> uh, voc uh, or a lyric. I mean, Eric is already shuddering about that. I that so sorry about that. Um, Maynard, but and, yeah, Maynard rhythm, and Ian both had the same hairline. <laughs> that is true. I'm sure they would get along. Um, but that rhythm section, it, it's having a go. And, uh, you know, it, it almost sounds like if you were to watch this album played out in real time, um, this would be the kind of the letting the rhythm section have a little, you know, let's, uh, let's lock in while we give Ian and, uh, guy a little bit of a breather. Um, they're always just so impressive. I know I already talked about that when we were talking about their overall history, but uh, when when Joe locks in after that guitar squall, it just kind of like settles things down. Um, 
and this song in particular does have a lot of moments where it it gives the band each a time to like here now it's your time to kick some ass in this part it just it seems to like kind of pass the baton around um it's a really good song i really i really like this song you bring up a good point about joe it's like his bass lines are never necessarily like calming like whole notes like he's they're always very active but he's playing between the raindrops of whatever the drum's doing and that just grounds you it grounds you for the it's it's great it, it, it's a great point calms things down yeah brings, brings it back to focus all there's right well part, the next there's a, part, there's, there's a part in this track that the the rhythm section and then all the guitars kick, kick back in with a da no 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 da no 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 no. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's it's great. Oh, yes. I think that's a riff off. I was talking. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's the part where you want to hit the deck. That's it. <laughs> yep. That's right. Well, for my friends that only like to go shopping at night, here's our next song: Night Shopping. shot has the the drums i mean the the production on this song is interesting the the drums are dubbed out a little bit phaser effect um guys backing vocals are distorted and hidden in the mix um a lot of the times the the bass and the guitar it's all like the envelope effect is happening they're all kind of just kind of muffled together um and it happens as as he's, as uh the lyrics are about Actually, there's a great line in this. I'll take something real, the fight to feel, while the, your next meal is calling, loosely trademarked as the best fucking thing you ever had. Um, inside your mouth, all comic cleaned and scrubbed down. It's like uh, landscaping for a ghost town. It's basically like advertising, and how it's how we like how we see the world through advertising, like things we want, things we think we need, while we could lose it all in the threat of war and the things that are happening, like what's the law what's the long-term game with the things these people are selling to us um that's apparently what it's about that's what i have deciphered it to be about and, and read some similar things um but the music stays in their little envelope and until the battling riffs take over in the pre-chorus and then it's a fucking volcano and then at some point the acoustic guitar comes in and then there's these big hooks in the last third of the song with that sound like the clash with big hand claps and everything. Um, Mark, what do you think about night shop? <laughs> yeah. Night shop is, it's a good one. Um, it's a good penultimate track. Uh, guys, vocals are certainly going through a P, uh, broken PA, which was probably for the best because I never knew how, uh, explicit some of these lyrics are. And we would play this in the record store all the time. And, we kind of always were a little nervous, at least I was whenever I was working about playing stuff that had profanity or obscenity because I didn't want some like lady to come up and start yelling at me like, why are you playing this? So thankfully, why are you playing vocals... murder ballads? Why are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Staggily. Um, But it's the whole vibe that you get here. It's undeniable. Um, 
has that woozy melody, the woo-woo-woo-woo, and I'm sure that Steven will have some things about that. He's very anti-wooz. Um, but the whole thing, the, that third act in this song really brings the whole thing together. Night Shop, it's a good one. The uh, the woos, the wooziness that I don't like is when you feel like you're on a boat rocking side to side. I don't feel that way on this this song. Um, this is also another contender for my favorite song in the album. It's uh, it's just got a lot of driving action. It takes you on a journey, man. It's got like a part where it's like Atari Teenage Riot, like like it's like ten seconds of like bleeps and bloops drop in the middle of this song, and then it becomes like this really like upbeat fast driving like the speed racer shift your car section um followed by some like strumming supergrass shit like it, it goes from an electronic freak out for a second to fugazi fast music action to supergrass acoustic or uh undistorted guitar strumming uh delivery all in just a s- less than a minute and a half for that part of the section of the song. Um, really takes you on a journey really has a great buildup at the end of the track has a good rave out. And yeah, that line fucked your fuck directives is wonderful. Fuck your fucked directives. You know how many times I think of that in my life? Just that, that phrase be I talking I'm not going to say who I'm talking about or talking to. And I think that in my head, but, uh, very often, fuck your fuck directives. I love it. Uh, night shop is a great track. Um, who's the singer on this one? Is it Piki auto? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got like some good reverb. He, you know, he uses reverb well sometimes like on this track his his vocals almost sound like a transmission from the 1950s. It's not bad. Good song. Great song. You know, you should treat this podcast like a Zoom meeting at work, Eric. You need to pay attention. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, you guys have never just said the same thing I said because you checked your phone for a minute while I was talking. Okay, nice. Right, <laughs> I don't do it All as right. much as Mark does it, but yeah, I've done it before. <laughs> I did try to do at least a callback. It's true. I'm gonna edit. I'm gonna edit all this out. Don't don't you worry, your pretty little head. Uh, no, you well, should glad to know. You should leave the part in where I shamed you and treat this like a work meeting. Uh, leave that in, please. Uh, all right. So uh, we all of us were simpatico, which means there was no argument on the last song. Uh, but the final song on this album is called "The Argument." Not only is this the final track on on the on this, but it's the final Fugazi song. I mean, they're on hiatus. Anything's possible. They're all still alive. They've played together in other bands, but I'm not holding my breath. It's been 
uh, it's been a lifetime since this came out. Um, and as far as a closing track goes for a band, you could do a lot worse. Um, lyrically, this is their mission statement. Um, when they start falling, executions will commence. Sides will not matter now. Matter makes no sense. How did a difference become a disease? And it's just like breaking down the idea of war. And then um, uh, later in the in the verses, it's it's breaking down really like Ian's position on being anti-war. When people are catching what the bombers release, I'm on a mission to never agree. Like you, it's looking at, you know, nationalism and um, people that are indifferent or supportive of a war. It's like, are you really thinking about the outcome? Um, and you really need to make like a life commitment to being against it. And, and that's why he's on a mission to never agree. Um, there, you know, the ends never justify the means in Ian's head that people die over, you know, whatever oil. Obviously there are exceptions to, to, to war, but Ian's idea, at least at this point in the nineties and early two thousands is there's no means that there's no ends that justify the means. Um, the song itself starts with a war transmission in the intro, much like the intro to the album. The guitar and drums do a little like stagger start and then a very soft sounding riff complete with a tambourine and shaker love here in the tambourine and shaker and Ian McKay is doing his soft singing and uh, it's a powerful track. I'll save my opinions till the end. Um, Steve, what do you think about the argument? Yeah, this is a, I've listened to this album many times, but I listen to this song a lot just on its own. I don't always got to put this album on to listen to this track. Uh, since the first time I heard this album, this song stuck out to me as the highlight of the record. And it just sounded like a something special. This, this, this track. Um, it's pretty crazy that this album was written right before, uh, nine 11, because I feel as far as milestones go that have the divisions we deal with today, obviously nine 11 was a big milestone. And that some of those divisions he's kind of singing about here, that line you name checked, Eric, that when, uh, when did, what is it? When does a, when does a division, when does a difference, when does a difference become a disease? Yeah. I, I think about that lyric often because with everything so por- polarized, it's just, you know, the ability, the ability to even have a civil argument seems to have been uh, left behind many, many ages ago. Um, but also this song is about sticking to your convictions. You know, this is a, another line in here is, is like, I'm, I'm making it a point to never agree. Is that it? Uh, <laughs> I'm, on a, I'm on a mission to never yeah. agree. Yeah. Uh, you can't, you can't be like, you have to be assertive in that opinion. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like the, Ian McKay. He does do that in his lyrics. Sometimes it says like, and the point I'm trying to make is, but he'll actually sing like, and the point I'm trying to make is, um, I respect that about him. Uh, he tells you how he feels and how he's going to say it. Um, but this song hits me emotionally the same way it did like 20 years ago, only because it's just, uh, gotten even, it it was just a harbinger of, you know, I don't know the world we live in now. There are more arguments. There are more arguments. There are arguments everywhere. It's like, everything's an argument all the time. Uh, I love the way that second verse starts with no instrumentation at all behind it. 
Um, and then I also love the magical little interlude. Radiohead-ish in the middle of the song before the loud crescendo and the rest of the band comes back in. This song is the epitome. This song is like Mr. Sandman, middle Mr. Sandman interlude. Yeah. This song is the epitome of what I was saying earlier about like mature intensity. This song does not hit you over the head with a hammer, but it carries a big carry. It speaks softly and it carries a big stick. This song, um, it's a great, great closer. It's an all timer of a closer, I'd say. You put this in, uh, you put this in your top fifty album closers. That's my opinion. Agreed. Mark the argument. Yeah, um, part of me at one point when Steve was talking about how excellent the song The Argument is, I was like, should I go the other way to prove a point about just having an argument? But no, I don't think I could stay close to the bit. Um, I think that this song is an achievement. I think that it is a perfect album closer. And it also seems, in hindsight that this was also a closer for the band. I mean, honestly, like you said, Eric, if this is the last statement that they have, the furniture EP notwithstanding, that was essentially recorded at the same time frame. but we're just looking at studio albums here. Um, but it does feel like it's a take a bow moment um, that whether or not it wasn't because that they just didn't like each other because all in from any of my research, it never seemed like this band was contentious with one another. Of course, like with people, people have fights and everything like that, but never to the point of like, Oh, we're breaking up and just unless I'm wrong, but I, I, I feel like they were all more, um, how can I still make music, but make it in a more comfortable environment because I have kids now, um, and not have so much pressure to pretend. I mean, Fugazi, I mean, they're, were getting popular in the sense of being able to be known as like the godfathers of the genre. So, I mean, I think Eric, your wife saw Fugazi and um, that's nothing that I would have been able to ever do. And unfortunately I just wasn't around and I wasn't aware of this band. Um, But had I had a little bit more ear to the ground, I mean, I feel like this is one of those all-time bands that just slipped away that opportunity to ever see this band live. Yeah. Steve and, and I saw uh, saw Ian and his wife when they were in the band, the Evans, Evans, the Evans, the Evans. We saw them at the uh, Mother India restaurant. They played a set in the Mother India restaurant, and Ian commented on how good the naan bread was. And uh, I'll take that. I'll I'll take if, that, yeah, I you, guess. I'll put that brad, badge on my... If, if you're going to go see Ian McKay, not in Fugazi, I guess in a vegan instant Indian restaurant is the place to see him. Uh, that's so spot on. It was a... That's hilarious to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but getting back, I think that this is that I agree with you. I'm on a mission to never agree. It's an all timer line. I mean, that's uh that is magnifique. Um, because to Steven's point, how prescient this song turned out to be, it's, uh, it's a problem and it was already, the seeds were being sowed way back then. Maybe we, it was always there and we were just too young to realize, I don't know. Um, but anyways, I always get goosebumps on this song. It's. It likens that moment at the end of Inception when the the top stops spinning, like it just uh, promptly turns off. Um, one thing I forgot to mention that starts with a little intro that isn't that where we came in shit, like sounds from that kind of collage at the beginning of the record. I noticed that on this last listen and uh, I like how it like closes the loop on this record. The intro was leading to this point. Um. Yeah. What more can you say? It's, it's a beautiful song. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, just to, to circle back to how you were all kind of processing that lyric, the uh, I'm on a mission to never agree. I think as far as was it always there? Like, I think people played nicer before and it wasn't like an identity to like be like anti woke and to be like like it wasn't so much an identity it was like you tolerate each other and then you go to the polling booth and you do your thing and then maybe you get drunk at dinner and you have an argument or whatever um but what he's talking about is like you know he's going to be anti-war that's going to be his stance and you can't be like a passive thing you have to be active in that and you have to get your message out and that's i think that's what he's saying there um yeah, let's and, also, uh, uh, before we move on, the uh, the guitar work at the end of this track is awesome. Just there's some great. Well, I was just about to bring that up. I yeah. when when it stops for a second, and then it, this is the argument, and you've got that like three octaves up, like that. Could yeah, it's just. I wish honestly, like, I wish it would go on for two more minutes. I kind of love that it doesn't. I kind of love that it ends, and you just wish it would continue forever because yeah. it's their last song ever um but it it doesn't overstay its welcome it's kind of perfect and it said everything you needed to say in four minutes and 30 something seconds as much as i'd love it to go on for 10 yeah uh great song great closer um all right uh so let's let's rank this particular album um so I guess how many bowls of vegan noodles uh, will you be slurping down um, out of five on uh, the the argument, Mark? So this uh, particular album, uh, it it definitely opened another chapter in my musical taste. Something that I often would overlook as the punk genre, I think after uh, I was introduced to Fugazi, Stephen and I then, um, you know, discovered Refused and it, it, it led me down the path to, you know, listening to Botch, listening to Dillinger Escape Plan, um, listening to a variety of music. And I feel like Fugazi was kind of that gateway, making my musical progression even get better. And it was a lot of that was based off of this record. 
Um, it's just the fact that it's incorporating cellos, pianos, and the second drum set. They were really more thinking about moving their whole song structure forward and not necessarily being pigeonholed uh, to a certain one type of genre. Um, I mean, I, I think for me personally, this is a easily a desert Island disc. I could listen to this record probably every day. Um, I think it's flawless. It's for 5.0. Holy shit. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. What did I, what am I, what am, what am I doing here? Am I, am I, am I the album whisperer who brought the clash last time? <laughs> 5.0. What do you think about the argument? Was the last time you picked an album, The Clash, that was like seven months ago. Um, I know. I know. I'll give it a 4.3. It's a... Uh, it, 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 I mean, it could be a five. But I can't give everything fives. I think I gave something else a five recently. So it's going to be the victim of timing. Um, but yeah, it's their best album. It's a Desert Island disc. They influence many other good bands if you want to look at it that way too. Um, many other good bands that were also made great records. And uh, yeah, you can listen to this very often. It's very easy to revisit. Most of their albums are, but not like this one. I mean, this is this is near. Yeah, it's a near perfect record. You could you could it's it's just the only song that's even mildly skippable is oh, and it's over before it starts. So it's up there. It's good. It's a very good record. This is this is from the file of the bands we or the records we covered where we're like covering like the the best album by a band we all like. It's just tough to argue. It's tough to argue with the quality of the argument. What I say, four point three, I'm sticking with that. Four point three. Fair enough. Fair enough. And honestly, mathematically, um, even just guys little uh, I want out part uh, could could justify a 4.3 um, if you're looking at this mathematically. But if you're looking at this, uh, uh, if I'm looking at this uh, chrono, uh, autobiographically, and uh, this is a very important album to me. Um, and, you know, like like you said, Steve, it inspired so much. Um, it, it transcends genres, but it still has, it, it still sticks the point of political punk better than most punk bands can while expanding their sound and making it very easy on the ears. Um, but beyond all that, like I already liked them when this came out and then I bought it not knowing it was going to be their final album in a crazy time when I was in college, when not only on nine 11 did nine 11 happen, but my long-term girlfriend broke up with me on the same day. And then I bought Fugazi two weeks later while she was uh, still considering getting back together with me. Um, and I had no self-esteem at the time, so I just went along for the ride. Um, anyways, I was in a place. And so that all shook out how it did, but the argument stayed with me as a very strong testament to being an individual and um to being on a mission to never agree to like standing by your by your uh i guess standing by sticking to your guns in a, in a great way which i had to learn how to do and and i anyways this 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 one has an emotional level to me as well 
when I needed it. So five, five vegan noodle bowls. For Easily five. I mean, I think Easily. Steven is being a little like, you give my fucking system of a down below it no, too. Not at all. <laughs> I don't care much. I don't care that much about system of a down at all. It's just because you can't get ever. You can't give everything fives. You just can't. You got. You can't. If I were to stack all the albums that we rank together, I would. I do not like. I'm not going to listen to the argument as much as I'm going to listen to London Calling. I guess I don't know. I can't think of all all the other fives are, but I just can't. Do, or Angel Dust. Like this is not. I don't put the argument next to Angel Dust, which I also gave a five. I don't know where how you circle that square. It probably means we probably should have done more than a five point scale, but it's a couple of years late for that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we gotta re-record the whole thing. That's right. <laughs> All right, that's it. Starting over. Scrap it. Uh, carpet bomb the whole season. That's <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so just just out of curiosity, for those that are still sticking with us, let's let's just let's go through the the seven albums. What are we thinking? What's your number seven? Mine steady diet of nothing. Mark. Uh, my number seven is Steady Diet of Nothing. And we're not including the instrument soundtrack, although purists would probably be included. We're just not. So, Steady Diet. Steven? Uh, I was prepared for this. Steady Diet of Nothing. All right, look at that. Three for three. Six. My six is Red Medicine. I feel like I'm going to get in trouble for that, yeah, that choice. Sweet. Six is also Red Medicine. Not, not, oh. <laughs> Uh, uh, six, six for me would be repeater. All right, all right. Um, so with that, number five is going to be the thirteen-song album. Although Waiting Room alone could wait it in the top three, but it's gonna go ahead and be number five. That is also my number five. Same here. Wow, Mark. <laughs> 13 All songs. Right, look at that. <laughs> Number five, Bullseye. Snake Mark and I are going to no, go pick out ones. Jackpot. Mark and I are going to go pick out Drapes after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. All right go f- ahead. Number four is Repeater. <laughs> <laughs> My number four is Repeater. <laughs> Steven? My number four is End Hits. <laughs> end Hits. All right. All right. Fair enough. My number three is End Hits. All right. My number, number three th- is In on the Kill Taker. My number three right. is In on the Kill Taker as well. All right. Look at that. My number two is In on the Kill Taker. Number two is End Hits for me. My number two is Red Medicine. All right. And then look at that, friends. We all resolved an argument by choosing the <laughs> argument for number one. It's beautiful. Perfect. I feel like they released, more, they released more albums than I... I guess, what, seven albums? I guess that sounds about right. All right. Yeah, yeah. That, all, that all checks out. Yeah, seven um, albums in a little more than a decade. That sounds about right. All right. It was, it was pretty re- well received at the time. Um, uh, ended on most top lists of the year. Um, it's gotten even more acclaim over over time, and a lot of people put it. A lot of post hardcore bands put it on their on their list. So, let's go ahead and see what's next. 
Gonna go ahead and roll the dice. That's a four. What's a four, Mark? We are going to trudge to the south. We are Ooh-wee. going to m- mount our brontosauruses and our mastodons. Because <laughs> we are going to get elemental with it, with mastodon, emperor of sand. And also, I believe Stephen threw in an EP. That's right. Where we may even go into cold, dark place. Yeah, doing both of them. Yep. So fantastic. Yes. And no, I did not. Uh, the reason I chose that uh, all the Mastodon albums. Uh, yeah. If you're to take the, you know, the, this is not a uh, ultra Depeche Mode violator thing. We're like, why do we pick ultra? I mean, you know, most podcasts would be, you know, why do, do, uh, do Leviathan or even blood mountain or crack the sky. Uh, no, no, those are all very marquee records by them, but emperor of sand, there's a very specific reason why I wanted to do that one that ties mainly into my opinions on the record, which is what the podcast is all about, our opinions. So good. Uh, for those playing along at home, is the should we listen to the EP first or after the album? I think it's a good coda. Matter. Good, 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 good question. It's a coda. Okay. All right. I do. Uh, yeah, and any anyone that wants to journey through the discog again, I won't stop you. It's a it's a dense one, but it's not required. But uh, I'll be doing it once again because I you know I will. I'll be doing it. I listen to their albums all the time. I can't. That's uh, they're 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 typically on in this household. And one thing I wanted to say before we move on to Mastodon, which will be fun, even if I have to edit it, um, <laughs> I I didn't have a place in my notes for this. But as I was listening to Fugazi and the way they put songs together and the use of the bass, one band they remind me quite a bit of is Mid-Career Blur. And I'm standing by my comment there. But uh, if you think of the Blur songs that are off their late 90s, early O's albums that aren't like Britpop Girls and Boys, but more the Coffee and TV era Blur, there's a lot of sonic similarities. Yeah. That guy Picciotto could be in a Britpop band, to be honest with you. I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking more of the rhythm section uh, and the use of melody when you don't expect it. But I just, I, for some reason, Blur kept coming to mind. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I do hear a little bit of, uh, I mean, we, we certainly were saying Radiohead, but I also see your point. Okay, Mastodon's next. I think that someone's trying to kill me. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, let's let's stop happening. You have to tune in. Why? Blood, Blood and Thunder, the most well-known song, Blood and Thunder. <laughs> oh boy! All right. Well, as always, this has been Mark, Stephen, Eric. Eric. And then Stephen, um, who's plotting his revenge. Um, we hope that we brought you closer to Fug- Fugs? Fugs. Fugs. Closer to 
playing a show at a vegan Indian restaurant. <laughs> Everyone, thanks for listening. Um, as always, follow us on the socials. We're not really doing the Twitter thing anymore, or X, but we uh, we, we're, we try to be active over at Threads or Facebook. And um, uh, if you feel like throwing us a few dollar uh, tip in our tip jar, digital tip jar, you can go to patreon.com slash pod like a whole, or you can go to uh, coffee, that's uh, kofi.com uh, slash pod like a whole, and... Um, you know, throw us a few that way. We appreciate you listening, really. Uh, you know, we do it for us, and we do it for you, our loyal listeners. We love you. Tune in next time. Oh! 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 What are you doing? Nothing. Oh! Whoa! Oh! 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 Oh!